Ed Stern. Peace and love, Howard. Sirius XM. Hey. On today's show, <laughs> Howard welcomes back journalist and political commentator Anderson Cooper. You're a good-looking guy. You're rich and all that. Guys don't hit on you every fucking ten minutes. <laughs> Are you getting hit on constantly? I, be um, I do. Don't you be know, honest. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess so. But I mean, everybody gets anybody. I'm sure you. What you must get Me? hit on all the time. Who's everybody wants that one and a half inch of yours. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, <laughs> One and a half inches, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Hi-oh. Right. Hi-oh. Hi-oh. I say. Hi-oh. 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 I like. Hi-oh. Hi-oh. All right. I'm looking over the phone calls. Sometimes it's deja vu. It's like every day Bobo. Bobo's the first guy up on the board. And Paul Simon, why did it take him so long to come on? Who cares? I mean, uh, he came on. He's here. He did it. That's his question. Why did it take so long for him to come on? What a silly question, you know? He, he just <laughs> How do I know? Now we want to discuss how, why it took so long. I hate goofing on Bobo. He probably gets the, you know, he probably gets goofed on all day by his wife and his kids and everyone. But, uh, but I mean, what? for Bobo, that's a sign of love. If you were not to goof on Bobo, he would feel you didn't like him anymore. You really care? Hey, why? I mean, how would I know why he took Paul Simon? Why don't you call Paul Simon? What do I, I know? There would be a story there. I don't know because you had a, a lengthy conversation with Paul. I don't know if something happened years ago, but I mean, the guy is such an icon, and it was such a fabulous interview you did. I was Thank just you. curious why it took that many years. <laughs> I figured you had something to say. About it it, it was because um, you know he was afraid that I would ask him something that maybe he didn't want to answer, but he felt more secure now. Okay, something like that. Or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe All he's... All of it is speculation, because nobody right. asks Paul the question. Maybe, oh, Bobo, maybe he's scared of Fred. A lot of fans uh, know this. Many guests for years would not come in, because Fred would sit in the studio, and they just felt like he could do something. And uh, now, uh, you know, now that he's older, people uh, seem as a little more gentle, Okay. Would would you think about putting together another HBO special like you did for Bruce with Paul? I don't I don't know. I Bobo I love you. I got it. Oh wait. (laughs) Robin, you're so mean to Bobo. Go away. Come on. Come on, Robin. Trying to be funny. That was funny. Paul Simon is an icon and I am a moron. Right. Right. (laughs) I really wish I could have called in because I would have asked Paul. The sound of silence. What does the sound of silence sound like? <laughs> right. And when you, you and Julio played down by the schoolyard, what games would you play? Would it be tag? Would it be dodgeball? Your thoughts. Well, Bobo Puppet, what did you play down by the schoolyard? I played with myself. <laughs> no one wanted to play with you? No, I was playing with my... Uh, my my penis on the on the seesaw. Oh, okay, on the seesaw. Yeah. 
Okay. Me and Bobo right. on down on the seesaw. <laughs> and I would love to have asked him because sometimes people really get into the thing that they do. Like when he wrote the boxer, did he learn how to box? His thought. Right. Well, actually, Bobo, I did talk to Paul about that. And he did say it was, you know, right. he, he felt most comfortable now. Right. In other words, he was nervous back in the day that maybe it wouldn't have gone so well. And I said and to him, you know, right. he's re and he was right. And I said that to him. I said to him, Paul, this was the right time for you to come on. I think we were both in the right headspace. And he agreed. Okay. Okay. Hey, I would have loved to have asked him, why did you write the song? You can call me Al when his name is Paul. Right. That made absolutely no fucking sense to me. But then again, a lot of things don't make sense to me. <laughs> How about nothing makes sense to you? <laughs> hey, Paul, did you ever goof on Art Garfunkel's hair? Your thoughts. Right. And when they toured together as Simon and Garfunkel and they did not have a lot of money, did he share a womb with Art and maybe sleep in the same bed? <laughs> I had a close call with an alligator. Bobo calls us Stern Show each and every day. Hey now, Alex. With his stupid questions, what a dope. No, 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 no. There's a better chance of that Bob Moron growing hair than telling us something interesting on the phone. I call about topics. Bobo's dumb, Bobo's lame, Bobo's boring. Oh, how we please hang up the phone. You can hear in your ears, you ever get that? Bobo's dumb, Eaten off by an alligator. All right. Okay, Bobo. Good Alex. question. Yeah, yeah. I got one more thing to tell you. You got me through driving over the one of the most deadliest bridges over the summer. I had a panic attack over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Over four miles of terror. And there's been over 45 deaths in that bridge. I'm telling you, I don't think most of your staff would be able to drive over you were that a, um, you were You were a driving instructor. Why would you be terrified in the car driving over a bridge? What are you talking about? Howard, you have to have your guys uh, Google Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Which, I mean, I've um, driven uh, my whole Chesapeake life. I, 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 I drove over bridges. I never, but why would you panic over a bridge? I don't understand. Because it's, it's a four-foot barrier, right? And it's over yeah. 379 feet high. Okay. And it winds around. And I'm telling you, most people, there's a guy that pays people every single day to drive him over the bridge. It's yeah, but when bad. you're driving, I'm you know this. When you're driving, you're, right. I mean, you know how to drive. And you know, the bridge yeah, is secure. What is, it, what is it that you're afraid of? It's the height part of it, How It's the height. Uh, I, the I mean, this is crazy. No barrier. No, it's Anybody not. can I, drive I, over the uh, Chesapeake Bay Bridge. I've done it many times. I lived in that area. That's where we used to go in the summertime. Yeah, is there I'm anything, Robin, was there anything where you panicked? No. Of course we not. Just drove. You they, drove. They had a, I drive over the Verrazano Bridge. I don't sit there and go, oh, my God, I'm on a bridge. It's over the I see the road in front of me, and I drive. I mean, who? That's a walk in a park compared well, to this bridge. Wait a minute, Bobo. Wait a minute. You were driving before you got to the bridge, 
And then right. you got to the bridge. You're still yeah, what's driving. Different? Nothing yeah. changed. Right. What's and different? No, it goes up, Robin. I'm telling I've you. Been on it. All right, you did it. Maybe All Ronnie right. could do it, but I bet you JD can't do it. Wolfie Sounds. and uh, Gary, Wolfie and Gary, take that bridge many times. Uh, did, did you guys experience what Bobo's talking about? Wolfie, how many times? He's, how many times? He's, he's insane, right? How many times you've driven over that uh, bridge? I drive over it every year. We go to vacation uh, in the Chesapeake Bay area. It's it's a bridge. It's a little on the high side. It's a little long. But it's nothing terrifying. Wolfie, have you well, ever experienced? Well, what is he talking about? It's a bridge. I have, no, I, I, I've done that many times. I, if you head down, I think it's to Virginia Beach you take that way. It, there, there's there's no fear. It's two lanes. It's a highway. There's nothing to be scared about. I think Bobo just calls in because he's right. No, no, call no, no. He, go, go, he had no it, topic dude. today. No, In other no, words, no, no. he wants to see how long he, Bobo's thing is to see how long he can stay on the air. No, and so bullshit, bullshit. he read up on the bridge. He went over I, it. I read up, I drove over it. And I then go, he, he, he goes. He goes, I'll call in and I'll carry on that I got him. I got him right. through the bridge here. Yeah. Bobo, it's you okay did. to skip a day if you don't have a topic. We're, we're not going <laughs> to no, be no, mad no. at you. Bobby, Just Bobby, skip a day. You got it. You, if you Google it, it comes up one of the most deadliest bridges in the U.S. Inside Edition did a special yeah, on people that can't go over the bridge. Why would they do that? Why I have a question. Get on Inside Edition. That's what I have a question for Paul Simon. Is the bridge over troubled water? The bridge I drove over. You know, if you if you Google the bridge. The bridge has been up and running for more than 50 years. During that time period, three cars and 11 tractor trailers have gone over the edge. Okay, fair enough. What, what, what Bobo's a driving instructor. He, he, he's going to go over the edge? How would you go over the edge? I how how would you do that? It, it, it gives you a panic attack going over that bridge at the heights. I don't like heights. She just, it, the you're, you no shouldn't problem. be a driving instructor. That's you three cars most- out of... Three cars out of billions. I mean, uh, yeah, you, but Wolfie, I think you're about to say he should be the most secure. Yeah, the most uh, qualified to do this drive. If it, it's so treacherous, Bobo, you're the person that should be able to do it. That bridge. That's a lot of people to die in that bridge. <laughs> oh, my God. 49 <laughs> in 50 years. Billion. I'm telling you, Robert. <laughs> a lot of people can't handle going over that bridge. I'm telling you. That's what I'm saying. The Twobbled, Bobo, you, Wobbled Chesapeake Bridge over Twobbled Water. It's Bobo, three take all my years driving to New York, I never went over that bridge. And this one time, it sent me over the fucking bridge. Bobo, take a week off and think of some new topics. Just take Bobo, a week. No, that was a, Bobo, that was a good Bobo, admit this. Now you're just doubling down on your bullshit, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you. I, I, went, I couldn't handle driving over that bridge. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Ever since 912. If we have to investigate everything Bobo can't handle, we'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I bet a lot of people out there feel the same way they couldn't drive. Let's see if other people feel that way. Bob, uh, you're on the air in Pennsylvania. Go ahead. Hey, yeah, this is Rob. Bobo's an asshole. There's only been two people that have died in the water from that bridge. You're so full of shit. Bullshit. I Look it up. You went over the it. edge. I just Googled it. No. I just Googled it with a guy that got it. Only two people have died that have gone in the water, now. Bobo. 
Forty-five people died in that bridge, and in June, a tractor trailer went over. In June. You keep on calling, wasting all of our time. I'm tired of fucking hearing you whine. You got us wishing we were deaf, dumb, and blind. Mm. Hang up right now. Hold on, I got my question. Uh, Christine, you're on the air in Maryland. Good morning, everyone. Um, again, I've been driving over that bridge since I was 16 years old. I'm not quite sure what Bobo's so afraid of. Oh, come on. That's so The way that thing is, it's only a four-foot barrier, and, it, and it's very be- narrow, and it keeps going up and up. It's over <laughs> four miles of that. And you don't, you, and you don't know how to... You don't know how to drive uh, in a straight way. That I mean, you're what are you swerving? Something's going up. He can't drive. All of a sudden, feel claustrophobic. And how the wedge is haunted. This is Bobo's calling pattern. He's he's afraid of alligators. He's afraid of having a heart attack. It's like medical fear. Like he just rotates those topics just to get on the air with you. Bobo, is this a good day? Bobo, is this a bridges all my life? Okay, Bobo, is this a good day for you? Is this a good day for you because you've been on the air now for like over 14 minutes? No, I don't think about that, Howard. I was really wanted to call up and talk about this bridge. And if there's people that can't drive over that bridge, I don't think J.D. can drive over that bridge. How about that? I know Ronnie. I just do my thing by calling it. Fuck your driving teaching, you dumb asshole. 2003 Best Performance Award at Safety Council. Every time you call the show, my anger starts to boil. It's totally I can't take it anymore. You're a human fucking fool. And why is JD your example? Like, is JD yeah. such a douchebag that he can't drive <laughs> no, or no, something? No, no, no. I'm just thinking he seems to be something like that. I don't know if he'd be able to handle. Like, I know Ronnie can do it. Roman probably could do it. Why? You know, I, I he might be almost as pathetic as me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> JD, why are you the example of like the guy I, I, who I can't don't know. drive? It's probably an image, you know, that that people think of me or whatever. I I, I drive over bridges all the time, at least twice a week. So. I, I don't know what this guy's problem is. I don't know why he's keeping uh keep saying my name. 
Yeah, why does he Ronnie, keep saying my name? What's his yeah, problem? He wants. He wants. He wants. He. I don't know. He wants to create some kind this. of competition. I don't know. Yeah. Right, let me somehow he wants us to right, right, hold on. Thing where let's let, let's give the audience a chance. Driving uh, over the bridge. Oregon. Uh, in Oregon, it's uh, Dennis. Dennis, go ahead. Speak to Bobo. Hi, Howard. Hey, Bobo. So I've been hey, driving professionally for 28 years now. Uh, hazardous materials got almost three million miles. I drive over bridges all the time, in the snow, in the ice, in the wind. I don't understand why you call in and put yourself up above everybody else when it comes to your driving record. I think you ran into a train or something, didn't you, at one time? I don't he think he's driving. He crashed his no, car under a parked truck. What is that? drove his car under a parked truck. That's right, in a parking lot, right? <laughs> yep. At yeah. the post office. <laughs> and he's a driving oh. instructor. <laughs> and, he's in the, yeah, and, and I think people put mayonnaise in his hair. He's an embarrassment. <laughs> no, 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 they spit, they spit gum in his hair. <laughs> Bobo, answer the accusation. Is it true you ran underneath? Did you drive your car underneath a truck? <laughs> I did that to avoid a head-on collision, Howard. You don't know the surface. Yeah, okay. In a parking, in a parking lot. lot. In a parking lot. <laughs> My Kuga XR7. Listen, I mean, you got to feel defeated every time you hang up on the uh, uh, the phone, Bobo. I mean, you're no, no. That's your legacy. You have to. Let me ask go you ahead. Bobo. Why would there be a guy charging people $25 a day to go over this particular bridge? I went over all bridges in my life. I never had to. He's an idiot. Is he related to you? <laughs> oh, stop. Let's go to uh, John, who is a uh, police officer in Maryland. Yes, John. Hey, now. Hey, Howard, I work for the Maryland Transportation Authority Police, and our jurisdiction is the Bay Bridge. Forty-five people haven't died on it. He's not looking into it. It's suicides. People commit suicides on that bridge. <laughs> you hear that, Bobo? And they do that on the Golden Gate Bridge, too. They do it on a lot of bridges. Here in Baltimore, we have the Key Bridge, the Bay Bridge. People are jumping off those things all the time. That's where the deaths come from. And the tractor trailers, too. There was one in June that went right over the edge. Yeah, only yeah, a it's in a while, though, there will be uh, an accident <laughs> on there where someone dies. But it's suicide. People go up there to kill themselves. I have All right. Thank you. Thank you, Officer John. There you go. Jo Officer John. Uh, Bobo, well, thank you for the call. I mean, uh, well, I'm just saying, why would inside uh, the He's going to say it again. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm so scared of witches. I don't even that? play the card game, witch. Remember, well, look, people Bobo have scores these calls in his notebook. Remember that. I'm curious right. how he's going to score this one. Well, he's going to give it a high score because he was on the air for now 19 minutes because he's got uh, us going. No, well, sure. let's, Howard, Bobo, I think you need to take off the minutes where we were just listening to the puppet and you were completely quiet. Let's oh, see, stop. 926, Come on. 721, I was on for All 19 right. minutes. Well, from my perspective, 
Somebody who doesn't like heights, how it affected me. That's all I'm saying. Okay, all right. Scott, you want the last word? Go ahead. Scott in Maryland, go ahead, and then we'll say goodbye to Bobo. Yeah, Bobo's a moron, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it, it, sometimes I think you might be getting uh, confused. Like there's a Chesapeake Bay Bridge tunnel that leads down to Virginia Beach, and then there's uh, there's the, um, the the Bay Bridge that, that goes from Annapolis over to Kent Island. And I think he may be talking about that one, to be perfectly honest with you. It doesn't matter. Not he shouldn't be nervous because he drives all the time. That's right, right, I do. Well, he's a big one. I mean, because there's two lanes that go from Annapolis to on the eastbound. All right, right, Scott, thank you. Bobo, that's it. Uh, People are saying, calm down. You're a driving instructor. You should be able to handle this bridge without problem, okay? Yeah, I can handle it. Just just telling you, it just gave me a lot of anxiety going over it. That's all. word in pennsylvania then i do have to move on go ahead ed hey howard big fan big fan big fan hey uh while i do think bobo is quite the moron uh i do have these same issues as bobo uh i can't drive over bridges i have i have a huge fear about driving over a bridge it happened about 10 years ago panic attack on on the uh, jersey like at 16w and uh yeah unfortunately i agree with bobo all right but it doesn't have anything to do with the chesapeake bay bridge it's bridges but there's Doers, don't no go over that could, one. Yeah, no, no, there's no way. There's no way I could ever do that bridge. No way. No All way. right, fellas. Well, obviously, both of you have a phobia. Bobo, thank you for the call. We understand that for By those the way, who tomorrow, are... which one should I should I bring up? My fear of eye drops or my fear <laughs> of bees? Bees. Bring up bees tomorrow. Bobo, okay. So people are saying, right. yes, they have a uh, fear about bridges, and uh, you're not alone. All right, Bobo, thanks. Thanks, man. Uh, write it down. 22 minutes on the air. Thank you. It's not your 22 well, minutes. Part of it belongs to the puppet. No, he um, <laughs> he provided content, as uh, Bobo will indicate in his journals. I'm also scared of onions and paper quips. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bobo. Right, you got it. That's man. Bobo. That's my man, Bobo. And um, Bobo's saying if he had well, his way, you can never... have him. Nobody's uh, challenging uh, you for Bobo to be their man. <laughs> If Bobo had his way, we'd never have to cross the water by car. Never. Uh, what would we do? But Bobo would come up with some other means of transportation. Oh, yeah. He's afraid of heights. What is it, Does Michael? He fly in the... anywhere? Michael in New York. Hi. Hey, now. Hey, now. Hey, so I was watching uh, Monday Night Football last week. Uh, It was the Carolina Panthers game, and they showed a shot of the cheerleaders from behind, and the one on the end, something looked a little off to me. 
So I, I Googled it, and sure enough, uh, the Carolina Panthers have a trans cheerleader. And I thought that that was pretty awesome, considering, you know, what a uh, corporate entity uh, the NFL is and all this uh, Bud Light woke bullshit nonsense going around. I thought it was pretty progressive of the Carolina Panthers to put a uh, a trans woman cheerleader on their squad. Listen, I'd want to see that. I'll be honest with you. I'm very what fascinated did he by from that. from behind that gave him pause? Maybe, maybe yeah. throw some balls so, out of those panties? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there was not. It was like a three-quarter shot from, like, over the shoulder, and she, and she was on the end, and uh, her hair was very short, and her build was very, you know, musculature. So uh, I, something tipped my radar. My radar started bleeping and, and buzzing. Her All name right. is, uh, uh, I'm being handed a piece of paper here. Her name is Justine Lindsay. Justine Lindsay. Uh, let me see a picture of Justine. I'd like to see her. I'm always curious. Yeah, share the picture, if you will. Robin and I, we're big Yentas. Which oh, one is she? Lovely. Oh, oh, I see. The, the, the black cheerleader? Yeah. The one without the boobs. Yes, the one in the middle. <laughs> the one with no Most boobs and, 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 and uh, is, well, there you go. Okay. I mean, look, you see, I have no problem with that. No problem right. with that. You know what I did the other day? Hey, I saw trans porn. It was what? pretty intense, though. Uh -oh. Yeah. I went on. Listen to this. I think it was, uh, I was beaten off. I was going to beat off. That's on her period. And I was like, you know what? I got to keep my prostate healthy. I better go beat off. So I <laughs> locked myself in the bathroom and um, I went on. And now when I go on YouPorn, they, I, I hit recommended videos. You know, why not? These guys are experts. Let's They're, see what they, they recommend. They got AI and AI knows yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, anyway, I don't know why it recommended. There must have been like 15 trans porn. And I was like, huh. I wonder if I could um, watch this, get aroused, or, you know, let me take a look. So what it was is the trans person, she's at the yoga studio. Okay. Right? And um, she's wearing, like, yoga pants and, you know, tight yoga pants. And she's got titties, big titties, but thin, you know. But she didn't look too bad, you know. She looked pretty good. And uh, she's being exercised Jeez. by the yoga instructor, who's a very masculine guy, big dude, you know, muscles and. Uh, um, anyway, Have you ever seen yoga teachers. <laughs> well, this was listen. This is porn. So the yoga teacher says, "You're very tight. You need to stretch." So he bends the trans uh, yoga student over. And he's like putting his hands on her ass and, in his, and on the thighs, on the legs and stretching her like crazy. I'm like, okay, I'll stay with this. I wasn't beaten off, though. I want to make that clear. I was just watching it from an academic point of view. I lest, see. You lest haven't anyone even tried. And it doesn't accidentally happen to you that you're turned off. No, no my pants were off and I uh, maybe touched my taffy a little and nothing happened. So... <laughs> Just shows you how straight I am. I'm just, I'm just, I want to make sure people know that. So, uh, like they're stretching and stuff. You got to watch this. And then all of a sudden, through the, um, yoga pants, the white yoga pants, I'm seeing this trans is, uh, getting aroused. Like, you know, oh. I see a gigantic cock and balls in there all of a sudden out of nowhere. 
And the next thing you know, I guess on uh, YouPorn now, because it's free porn, they cut right to the action. Next thing I know, the yoga teacher's naked, and the trans has a full-on erection and is sticking it in the yoga teacher's ass. So the girl's wow. fucking the guy in the ass, and then I was out. Wow. I checked out. I, ch- wow, I, I couldn't wow, handle wow. it. That was yeah, a turn I, I didn't see coming. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I could beat off to that. <laughs> It's wild. It's really weird to see a very attractive woman sticking her dick in a guy's ass. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I wish you could see it. <laughs> no thanks. It's, and it's so depressing. There are things I don't want to see. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I didn't want to see this. It's de- this woman had a bigger cock than me. These trans, uh, you know, pre-op trans. I'm like, look at this. This cock and balls were huge. And I was shocked because she could get a fucking full erection. I'm, you know, usually uh, they're on hormones and stuff. But this. Right. But this do you think maybe a, there's some, you know, Cialis or or Vi- Vi- Viagra involved? I don't know. To keep it hard or something? I made it pretty far into the porn, though. I mean, I should be commended for well, that. Well, as a hey, scientist, Ron. you had to go deep. <laughs> you ever watch any of this uh, trans porn? Yeah, I've watched it with uh, my my mate. Oh, no <laughs> we've kidding. Watched, we've watched it together because I always joke with her after I drop dead that she should go with a trans, you know, because she'll have the best of both worlds. She's got a kind of like she's got a chick with tits and everything. And then uh, she wants some dick. She can get that, too. So, yeah, we've watched it a couple of times. What a loving conversation, Ronnie. You're so I'm so sweet. glad he's helping her plan her future after. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, of uh, course. You know you know who you could have? Uh, one of these chicks with dicks. Uh, <laughs> it is very weird, though, to see, you know, an attractive woman with big titties whip out this huge cock. And, and the balls are, like, massive. It's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, forget it. Yeah, it's, they have huge dicks, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Really? At least the, yeah, the ones oh, in yeah. porn do. Wow. You know how you, humili- I don't know how big, I don't know how big your dick is, Ronnie, but I don't have much. And it's like, man, I'm looking at a woman with a cock five times the size of mine. And I'm a man. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I hear it's you. It's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair. And, and I, I guess these people don't want to lose that, huh? Well, it's kind of like Bobo. You got you got to get over that fear of watching it. You know. Mm, well, yeah, but I'm Robin... just saying they've got big, big dicks. Well, and shit, it's a uh, you know it's part of their profession now. That's right. They can't. That's right. They can't lose that. Most trans yeah, people I've spoken to, though, the 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 truth is they can't stand their dicks, and even when they have sex and they still have their penis, they don't like don't want you fucking around with their penis. They want to feel like women. So if you right. want to fuck if you want to fuck that person in the ass, they're fine with it. Or you want a blowjob, you can get one, but they don't want a lot of like times a, they don't even want you to see. Right, that's dick right. And balls can't help but see. <laughs> yeah, well, this <laughs> problem. You, when you, if if you're trans and you're wearing yoga pants, you're going to see. Yeah, but, for uh, sure. Anyway, last year, listen to this. The transgender category on Pornhub grew by 75% to become the seventh most popular category worldwide. Well, hey, I watched it, but now my curiosity is satisfied. I'm fine. And I did not. I want I want everyone to hear this, especially Ronnie. I did not jerk off to trans porn. Thank you. Now, on you porn, do you 
do you select like and I'd like to see more of these or don't like, don't ever <laughs> no, show me? I don't these select. <laughs> I don't select anything, Robin. I, I, I don't have like a, a, a history of like, you know, liking things. No, uh, I don't even know what's going on there. I get in and out quick. Once I blow my load, I'm out. That's the end of it. Um, Frank, you're on the air in Florida. Oh, my God. I can't believe I got through it. It's so good to talk to you guys. Hi, Howard. Hi, Robin. Hey. Hi, Fred. <laughs> I miss me some angry Alice. Right. What can I do for you? Anyway, anyway, I've been fascinated at the thought of being able to suck your own cock. And I wanted to know your opinion on it. I'm gay, so I would do it in a heartbeat. But yeah, that's gay. Make you would it make you gay if you suck yes. your own cock? Of course. Listen. Oh okay. wait a minute! If, it doesn't make you gay to use your own hand. Of course not, Robin. But uh, to suck your own <laughs> penis. There you go. Anytime you got, if you have a penis in your mouth, you're gay. That's it. <laughs> All right. That, right. that settled it for me. Excellent. Sure, of Good course. You guys. Why? Why is the mouth different what? from other parts of your body? I don't know. It just is. I, I read it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the name of the book. Uh, it is. It's. It's. It's going a little. It's. Listen. It's fine if you want to be gay. That's gay. If you want a penis in your mouth, you get. If you rub your own penis, you got to do something. But uh, have you um, never thought? What no, would it for, be like to, you never thought? Well, no, because I can't even, like, my penis is so small, I barely get my hand around it. I mean, uh, <laughs> I got enough trouble with that. Hey, speaking of penis and speaking of this, you know, it's funny. I was watching uh, the Ukrainian president, the brave Ukrainian president, Zelensky, and I was uh, thinking about him. You know, what's going on in Ukraine is just terrible. I mean, uh, Russia decided to want to annex or, or, or put together the great Russian empire. So they invaded this country. They've destroyed it. And the uh, Ukrainian people are some of the most brave people on the planet. They're trying to defend their country. They're trying to hold on. And I fully support our country uh, supporting them. I think you let Russia take over uh, the Ukraine, then who knows what they want to do next. It's just, it's it's a no-brainer. But to me, to me, I know other people disagree. But um, it's funny, I wanted to learn more about Zelensky because, as most of us know, he was an entertainer in Ukraine. He was a comedian, and he got elected president. So I said, what, what was, I Googled, what was President Zelensky's comedy routine? First tape I see is, you know what his comedy routine was, Robin? What? He, he, he and another comedian would simulate playing the piano with their penis. Are you yeah, kidding? That was, yeah, that was their thing. They, they, their act is they go on stage and they stand in front of the audience and the, and the piano is blocking them from the waist down. And uh, then they pretend they stand there with their like hands over their head and go, let's play right, the piano right. with our penis. Yeah. And I'm like, he became the president, president of Ukraine. I mean, you would think that would be impossible that he would you know, become the president of Ukraine. That's why the government was after you. I know. I mean, I, I got fined by the um, <laughs> United States government. I had a Christmas party on the air. I guess it was a, either K-Rock or WNBC. I think and I it was said, NBC. Yeah, I said, there's a guy playing the piano with his penis. Actually, there was a guy playing the piano with his penis. But my point of view was, you don't know if he's really playing the piano with his penis. Hold on a second. 
<laughs> oh, my God. What an honor. President Zelensky, how are you? Hello, honorable American radio host Howard Stearns. I want to begin by saying there's not a soul in Ukraine that does not feel gratitude to the United States. So, as a sign of my great thanks, I want to do my signature act and play a concerto for you and your audience. Oh, everybody, the great President Zelensky is going to take a moment to thank us for our support. And he's going yes. to do his act for us. You're going to play the piano with your penis. Go ahead. Yes, do your act. Let me, let me do take it fun. out. <laughs> Here I go. You see, long before I was leader of my great country, I was an entertainer. And this was my signature piece, playing the piano with my cock. But you know, Howard, I can also play with my balls and asshole. Allow me to demonstrate, what? okay? <laughs> this is it. Here's my balls coming out. And now I will play with my balls. You hear that? Wow. That's, Those are your balls? balls? Yeah, because wow. it's heavy. It hits the keys. And you know when I do it, I pretend I'm hitting Vladimir Putin's face. Now that's my cock. Because it sounds higher. You hear that? You might. That's my you cock. Might, you might have the world's most talented cock and balls on the planet. <laughs> now listen, I go he back to my balls. Listen. that way too. That's my balls. That's my balls. All right. Now this, that's my cock. I go back to my cock. I can do both, and I smack the keys like I'm smacking Putin's face. Well, this is why the world has gotten behind you. Now, wow. would, this one's amazing. This is one I used to do at um, old age homes. They love this. I used to play this with my cock. Wow. <laughs> you know, I would uh, I dress my cock up like Al Jolson for this. All right, well, I, thank you. I know that's very problematic. <laughs> wow, well... You can see why the people of Ukraine love him. It's uh, I, I can't even imagine the leap from playing the piano with your penis to president. Right. Well, anyway, it's really true. That's what his act. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was his whole act, but it was like some show in Ukraine. And he's standing there with the other comedian and they're pretending to play the, the piano with their <laughs> penis. I was way ahead of my time doing that. Bit. You were. I always said that. So they yeah. just don't understand what's going on here. Maybe now, now, <laughs> nowadays it's, uh, it's tame. I was screaming about politics the other day and Beck goes, honey, you have to run for president. I go, I don't know if that's. Well, I thought you were, you know, there was a time mm -hmm. you and Bradley Cooper were, uh, you know, a you running know pair, a partnership. I'm not making a joke, but like if anything happens to Joe Biden and he can't run, I swear to God, if Bradley Cooper ran, he went. He could win. He could win. Because the United States evidently loves celebrities. And uh, Bradley Cooper would win. With me, you know, I would... You'd I would tell him, him? I'd help him. I'd help him. Yeah. That's all. Be an yeah. earpiece in his ear? Yeah. A voice in his ear to tell him I what mean, to say when he's debating Trump? <laughs> he's never played the piano with his cock, but he could win. <laughs> Cock. <laughs> I play with my cock and balls. That guy has the funniest voice, um, the Ukraine guy, Vladimir Bolensky. Vladimir. Vladimir. Oh, and your name, <laughs> Vladimir, it sounds like you should grow up to suck someone's blood. Vladimir. They got names. Where do you come up with a name like that? Um, it's like Frank Zappa came up with that name. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I got an advanced copy of The Golden Bachelor. I was laying oh, in bed you did. watching that. We were talking about it yesterday. Yeah, I got it yesterday. Holy shit. I can't tell you how fucking weird it is. Is it? Like, well, it's watching 70, you know, a 70-year-old dude who, by the way, is in pretty good shape. I mean, the guy looks, you know, Yeah, he looked rather handsome. He was probably, yeah. you know... He would have probably made it into the regular Bachelor if there was a Bachelor at that time. Watching him with um, 60 and 70-year-old women, you know, and some a little older, 75. Are they climbing out of that car? Do they show them climbing out of the car? It's unbelievable. And it's like, I I didn't like watching it with Beth because I'm thinking the whole time she's sitting there going, Jesus Christ, my husband's up there in those years. The whole thing is really fucking tricky to watch, but she's saying she wants... I I would stop watching it. That's how disturbing it is because, uh, you know, I'm trying to pretend I'm youthful. This is like... This is real reality television to you. Yeah, too real for me. (laughs) I like watching the young kids date, you know. And imagining you're them. You don't want to imagine this. Uh, No, this this is something I don't have to imagine. I can look in the mirror. It's horrible. But we're going to watch it because we're Bachelor Nation. I'm watching Bachelor in Paradise. That's good, too, but uh, in a different way. Well, I'm just wondering, you know, it occurred to me the other day. Remember, you know how in the regular Bachelor and Bachelorette, there's always that moment where, you know, I've got to tell him something Mm. or her something before we go too far. Yeah. So that she knows what she's getting into. Right. And I'm wondering what these old people will reveal. I don't know. It's it's weird, too. And it was kind of sad, like, um, at the end of the... uh, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but uh, uh, at the end of the episode, he has to choose some women and send some home. And watching a very old woman being told she wasn't attractive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was... The guy was crying, the women are crying. I mean, it's like a... You know what's next? Now, the see, hospice this bachelor. Like a comedy to me. I gotta watch this. Mildred, uh, you were on the ba- the Golden Bachelor. What was it like uh, filming? Oh my God! Every day was a new adventure. I remember a couple nights into filming, I got fucked on a bingo table, and I started <laughs> shooting bingo balls out of my snatch. Oh wow! No one knew I could do it. All right. She got fucked on a bingo table. But who? It was really. I mean, it was she re- acts like there was a group of people there, a group of men. Really depressing. Yeah, it was weird, and I, I don't even want to get into why it was so weird. It's too depressing. But uh, they're saying in the newspaper that the reason they're having the Golden Bachelor, the seventy-year-old dude, is that no one watches network TV anymore, and in an effort to, the only people watching are baby boomers. And uh, they're in that age group, and they're trying to appeal to them. But uh, I got to tell you, I'm a baby boomer, and I got to tell you, it was rough. I don't know. Yeah, but you know what? You're not looking at, you know, there are these senior communities 
where yeah. there's 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 crazy stuff going on. Yeah, I you know, know like I understand that. One one guy who has all of his faculties and he still has a body that works, yeah. and he is highly coveted. Uh, I don't by, care by these older women. I'm just keep, saying that that's going keep, on. Keep that at in these private, old folks' homes or yeah. uh, group living situations. That's why I like watching porn. I don't want to see myself having sex. <laughs> the, the, the Golden Bachelor is a little too close to home. Uh, are there going to be upsetting. any shower cut uh, scenes with the no, uh, Golden no. Bachelor where he's rubbing no. himself with soap? Any of that uh, stuff? No. They have a scene where he's eating Metamucil, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, it was rough. It was rough watching that. But anyway, I do have to take a break. Uh, Anderson Cooper is going to stop by. He uh, wrote a book called After, so he's out promoting. I've seen him on a couple of shows, and I thought it's always fun What's when he comes in. What's it called? After? Aster. A-S-T-O-R. Aster. 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 Astor. Asterd. <laughs> yeah, it's about the Aster family. I actually read it. Ah. And... um I try to read the books. I, I read half. I'm up to half because I also have to. Well, there's a couple other books I have to read for guests, but it's kind of it's so fascinating. The Astor family was this family that made a shitload of money back in like the 1700s or some something like that, the olden days. And the way they made it is the, the original dude who made the money. This is what it is. In a lot of these families, there's some hardworking asshole who makes a shitload of money. And then for the rest of eternity, the family figures out how to bankrupt themselves from this money. No one else can figure out how to make money. It seems to me, and I'm going to talk to Anderson. And I think he feels the same way. It's like when you leave people money, it's a curse. Like they just don't, they lose the will to work. They don't want to do anything productive with their lives. It's well, really it's not weird. When you leave them the money. It's because they've had the money their whole lives yeah. and they never really have any incentive to go out and do anything yeah. because everything is already available. The original dude used to go out and kill beaver and sell the fur. And uh, Anderson spends a lot of time talking about how they killed these beaver. It's brutal. The beaver is so cute. And people used to wear beaver fur. It was very sturdy. So this guy would go out and kill these beaver. Well, he a, really was a hard worker. Oh, my God. And he figured out how to make a ton of money and then took all his money and bought up almost all of Manhattan. Like back then, you wow. could you know, you know, could get Manhattan for a wampum. Yeah, well, the original guys got it for beads, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, this guy would buy up like, um, you know, like Times Square for three hundred bucks. Right, he had prime real estate. It was crazy. So, I don't know. It was like the guy built up a fortune in the beaver fur trade. But when they when they're describing when when Anderson is describing how the guy would slaughter the beavers. I was like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. But it was oddly fascinating. And then uh, he became the first multimillionaire in the United States. But then, and then he had a son. And the son, he was pretty good at like holding on to the money and making more money because he'd buy up more real estate. And then, um, then after that, the whole thing fell apart. There were so many, you know, 
people who inherited money and squandered it. And Oh, wait a second, Robin. Speaking of Beaver, here's Techno Beaver. Gary Delabate, what do you want to say? Oh. No, I was going to say, the, the other thing I got out of the book, Howard, was that if you deviated from the family business, <clears throat> if you had any dream of any kind <clears throat> that wasn't the family business, they would break you. They would yeah. shun you and break <clears throat> you. Yeah. Huh. And then they'd ha they started high society, too. Remember when, like, women used to, like, if you were super rich, you had, like, high society parties? Right. You had these yeah. teas and you ran charitable things and, uh, you know, raised money for different charities. And in that, there's an a HBO series. And uh, it's coveted to go to the Astor person's yeah. there you go. lunch or dinner or be invited, you know, have her come to your home. That yeah. put you in high society. It was a big deal. But they, they all died broke, right, Gary? I mean, eventually they all barreled through all the money eventually. But yeah, uh, I mean, it was a lot of You know of what was money. fascinating to me? I'll tell you, they went through all the beaver money. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the dude, Aaron Burr, who got into a duel with the... Uh, I guess it was Alexander yeah. Hamilton or something. Yes. Well, yeah. Aaron Burr, that dude was so in debt. He he owned Greenwich Village. He traded it for a loan from one of these from the Astor dude. Wow. And um, that's amazing to me. The guy owned Greenwich dude. Village and he fucked up. But but Robin, there's parts of the book where they talk about like he <laughs> bought this useless land, right, which is now Broadway between 38th and 45th. Right. Yeah, crazy. There, there was there was one piece of property he bought that had increased four thousand times in less than ten years. You know what sucks? We should have been around back then. Well, uh, that's the I might think when you're at the very beginning of something, it's you know like you can swoop in. Well, we would have been stupid and go. I'm not yeah, buying a fucking been farm. Working for him or something. Yeah. This <laughs> Manhattan's never going to be valuable. You know. <laughs> I would have totally been uh, working cleaning beaver pelts. That would have been my lot. Yeah, right. yeah me too. I'd be like, I'm not going to go out there and negotiate with the the natives for beaver pelt. <laughs> this guy, but man, he worked of hard. Those families were started by, like, as you said, hardworking guys. No, no, there was no society around them. There was nothing about them that would have said you want to go have dinner with them. The, the dude owned a farm that became Times Square. Times Square used to be a farm. It's kind of crazy, Isn't that amazing? you know. But, but amazing, Howard, right? the, the other thing that I got out of it, they, when when it came to being landlords, they were worse than the mafia. If your if your arm fell off, they're like, we don't give a shit. If you can't pay, get out. We'll put somebody else in. Well, they were unforgiving. I just know there'll never be a book about the Stearns because we, you know, like my dad fancies himself a good businessman, but meanwhile, my he was going to buy originally Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, Stock. stock, yeah. When it first came out, my mother said, "Who's gonna buy chicken stocks?" And my father goes, "She told me not to buy it. I would be a billionaire." <laughs> but it's just like that, you know. He had all he, the stories of how he missed the millions. Yeah, I told you, my father. My father had me convinced he was a brilliant businessman, but he really wasn't. Now that I analyze it, now that I have some distance from him, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I hear about all the what ifs. I remember my dad. Needed money to expand his business. So he, this bicycle company bought his, like, gave him money for the business and they merged. And my dad got the bicycle company stock. And he was, like, so proud of himself. He goes, I have all the stock and the bicycle business is booming. It was. It, he, it was. Like, there was a period of time when my dad was, like, in business with these guys. 
This was the one company that lost money on bicycles during the bicycle boom. <laughs> they can't. I will. They can't sell bicycles. <laughs> my dad ended the stock ended up becoming wallpaper. It was completely worthless, and my dad had to work to buy the business back from them. Jeez. It was a fucking disaster. And you know, he was always like, "You don't know anything about business." I'm like, "Well, you know what." Don't be so proud of yourself. You fucked up, too. Yeah, maybe I don't. You're right. It's because I'm watching you over here. Yeah, I, I was trying to learn from you. But he did, oh, he, leave, he did leave a nice pile of dough behind when he died yeah, for my mom. Yeah, but there's no company. There's no There's no company. Signs. The only reason my dad was able to leave a nice pile of dough for my mom is he convinced me he was broke and I paid all his bills for the last 30 years of his life. He got to save his money. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then when he died, I went, what is all this? <laughs> oh, your father. And now the story is my mother goes, your father was a very good businessman. I go, excuse me? You guys, you guys would have been broke. I, I bought your cars. I refurbished your house. I moved you to where you're living now and paid for it. And he's the good businessman? Motherfucker. <laughs> really? Well, I got to hand it to him. It's a smart business plan. Get stupid this ass was Howard. This his best scheme. <laughs> Just letting kidding. you pay for everything. Yeah, because <laughs> I walk in and like, like my mother go, we have to fix something. I go, yeah, your father won't let me. says it's too much money. I go, mom, I'll pay for it. Well, I mean, it cost me a bloody fortune because the house, you know, I bought the house in 1979. I mean, 1960s. I mean, the house neat was in disrepair. They and hadn't they done in, anything since then? Nothing. Wow. So I brought in decorators, um, uh, contractors. And no then wonder I opened he up had my, money. He never spent it. I'm telling you. And I'm like... <laughs> When my dad died, I'm like, well, you know, I'm the executor. I went, I almost fell on the floor. Wow. Yeah, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I almost vomited. So there, there won't be any book on the Stern family, like the Astor family, like Anderson Cooper. No, nothing, keeps, nothing worth yeah. writing about. I used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken in Freeport. It was the first one. They didn't even call it Kentucky Fried Chicken. I went there every week and ate those chickens. Every Sunday we went to have to Freeport where they had Kentucky Fried. Your father loved it. And they had a, I said to the guy working there, what is this chicken? And he said, I get it from a company. It's a batter. They sell you the batter. I found out the name, Colonel Sanders. And then I saw on the stock exchange, Colonel Sanders. And I said to your mother, I'm buying that stock. And, and, ah, <laughs> she says, who buys chicken? And I listen to her like she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> I said, who's going to get focaccia chicken? Who's going to eat that? <laughs> he he didn't he he listened to me. <laughs> it's not so 
how funny he listened to you. <laughs> I mean, but you know, and I and I would hear these stories, and I go, God, why couldn't my father have bought Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then I would have been like been one of these rich kids. I wouldn't have to. Yeah, pressure you'd have been the cool guy on campus with the car yeah. and the whole thing, yeah. the sweater wrapped uh, around your shoulders. <laughs> hey, Dad, now that we have many shares in Kentucky Fried Chicken. How about a Jaguar for me to drive around campus in? <laughs> I mean, and he listened to my mother. That's what, that just show, she goes, who buys chicken? I'm thinking to myself, everyone buys chicken. Yeah. I don't know anyone who does. The things that yeah, people yeah. eat. So, I mean, my God, we ate chicken, what, three times yeah. a week? I, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Everyone <laughs> eats chicken. My, who's going to eat chickens? Everyone. It's <laughs> <laughs> all proud of that story. Yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, not and like that's that. one of the things that, you know, like I read these books about great stock traders and people who built mm-hmm. companies on stocks. And they say you should be investing in what you use. If you right. like something and you really believe in it, you know more about it than some guy who's sitting on Wall Street and only reading about, you know, the figures yeah. it makes. You know how much that's stock how you invest. You know how much stock I own in porn? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's going to pay off. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Sing it. Mata Hoople, all the young dudes. I carry All right. Enough. Give me a headache. I love that track. Great song. And you can see I'm a very good singer. I don't know what happened when Paul Simon was here. I choked, but... Uh, that was funny. <laughs> what did he say afterward? <laughs> he said, uh, not so good. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> in my, in my was, mind, I'm uh, a singer. You know right. that, well, how that goes. Well, we all are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm getting... Uh, a lot of email and uh, fan mail, however it comes in, either on uh, tweets or people do write us and want to comment on the show. I, I, hey, Gary, what's going to be with Zach Wilson of the Jets? I mean, he's got to be the most hated guy in New York right now. What's going on with him? He, he, where did he play college ball, Zach Wilson? BYU. Oh. Brigham Young. What's that? Oh, Brigham, Brigham Young. Young University. Yeah, Brigham Young. Um, he, the Jets drafted him three years ago. He didn't develop the first year. He was so awful last year that they made the decision. They benched him, brought in all sorts of different people. And then they went and got Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. Spent $70 right. million, dollars, guaranteed money. We know what happened. Aaron, you know, got hurt on the fourth play <laughs> of the year. Fourth and play. Zach is, Zach is the backup. And there was all this talk about Zach had gotten better. Aaron had mentored him. All summer, it did not happen. He's he's regressed. He's he's just not an NFL caliber quarterback. And they spent all this money. They've got running backs, and they've got a, a whole receiving core, and this amazing defense, but no quarterback to run it, so they can't mm. score. So who every team the, knows who made the Zach decision. Well, well they the wanted manager. Aaron Rodgers. I mean, no, 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 no. They've drafted Zach. Who made that decision? Oh. It was the general manager, but I'm not sure if it's the current general manager. Okay. Might well, anyway, the, the Jets are awful. They're one and two. Well, and they're playing Kansas City next week. 
and, and they're wondering don't get... if Taylor Swift will come and have everybody <laughs> no. talking about her instead of Zach. <laughs> Taylor Swift's not going. She did it, and now she's going to wait a while. I told you she might show up during the playoffs. She's not going to go every week. She's but not at his least wife. She lives here in New York. Yeah, but she's not going to go. I, I I'm telling you, a hundred percent. She's got a public relations team. That's going to say, listen, it was exciting. Now the move is to not go to the games and keep people guessing when you're going to go. Should be, she's like, oh my God, this guy, I'm so in love with him. I want to go to the game. No, Taylor, don't go to the game. That's what they're going to tell you. You know, he played it absolutely right. Not only, you know, okay, he's not holding her hand when they walk out of right. the That's stadium. Fun. Yeah. And then they get into, now he has a car. He's driving it himself. It's a red convertible. Right. So it's almost like he has her on parade. Look, everybody. <laughs> I'm with Taylor Swift. Robin, Robin, his apparel in one day went up 400%. It is a number five selling jersey in the NFL. I don't know who's buying it, but he's it's selling the, a crazy amount. It's the Taylor Swift fans. The Swifties are all wanting that jersey now because she wore it. While she was watching the game. And don't forget, Halloween's around the corner. They're buying it for their boyfriends. <laughs> when they dress up as Taylor Swift, they're, he's, they're going to be, uh, the nunnick from Kansas City, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I yeah. feel we're, we're, we're a few months away from a Travis Kelsey jersey burning ceremony when they break up. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. By the way, a lot of people wrote me. They like when I talk about Travis Kelsey banging uh, Taylor Swift. They like it. Uh, Howard, your rap on the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey relationship had me crying. It was exactly what all of America was thinking. The clip of a marching band playing Shake It Off with the cherry on top. People love these <laughs> conversations. When I spotted Taylor at the game yesterday, I was really hoping you'd talk about it. You guys did not disappoint. Who would have thought your show would have the most in-depth NFL coverage around? Uh, Richard must be so jealous, jealous of Taylor Swift. The only person who wants Travis to tackle them more than Taylor Swift is Richard Christie. <laughs> Absolutely. La da 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 da. Da na 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 na. I read an article, I don't know if it's true, but they believe that Taylor Swift got out of the stadium. She hid in a popcorn machine. They stuffed her into a popcorn, like one of those giant popcorn machines and stuck her in there and then wheeled her out. But wait a minute. I saw them driving off in a car. That's how they got her to the car without the fans, you know, being all over her. They, they oh, okay. she, she's like the Beatles. Well, where did uh, Travis had to walk out too? They they just let him walk. <laughs> yeah, no way. Travis she's Kelsey game machine. <laughs> yeah, she's in the popcorn and he's in the Coca Cola machine. <laughs> Travis Kelsey gained roughly three hundred thousand new Instagram followers following Sunday's game, Amazing. and um, and then the report was after the game they went out to dinner. But Taylor Swift said to everyone in the restaurant, "I'll buy you dinner, but you must leave." She wanted to be alone with Travis Kelsey in the restaurant. But does that uh, emasculate a man when the <laughs> woman think? is making the the move, mm. the strong move? I would fucking love it. I'll be honest with you. Oh, Taylor Swift wants know. a date. If she wanted to date me and she says, listen, I need to be alone with this Howard Stern. <laughs> I don't need any people here because I have some fucking dirty thoughts about him and his one and a half inches. All right. One inch. 
But I uh, <laughs> I try to feel like more of a man. Um, but, you know, look. I mean, those two, you know, listen, you remember Young Love. These two are hot for each other. And yeah, they're, but they're... He, he can't compete with her monetarily. Oh, he's it. No, he's loving it, though. He's loving but it. But he, he has to buy her gifts, Howard. What is he going to no. buy her? No, he doesn't. Jocks love this shit. They Jocks are very secure. They love a wealthy woman taking care of really? them. Really? Yeah, okay. they love it. They love it. Because, <laughs> you know... Like, this is exciting. You have a wealthy young well, how girl. Do you know what jocks love. You didn't even talk to jocks. No, but I observed them. I used to go, ooh, if I was popular in high school. No, I know what they were about, these guys. You know, Travis Kelsey, I don't know who he calls, but who's, uh, he probably calls uh, Patrick Mahomes. Well, Mahomes did say that he, you know, he said, uh, you know, she might be coming to the game. And he, like he said it on Friday. He, she might be coming to the game on Sunday. He said, but you can't ever tell with him if he's telling the truth. And he said, if he keeps going out with her, I'll eventually meet her. So they must be close. Hello. Hey, uh, Patrick, <laughs> is that you? Yes, me. <laughs> uh, man, I just got home from dinner with uh, with Taylor Swift. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking. You're the only guy I can call about this shit because you know everyone else will. T I won't say a word. What happened? <laughs> you're not gonna believe this, broad. We go to a restaurant. She fucking bought out the entire. She said to everyone, "Eat up quick. Get out. I want to be out. alone with Travis. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. You're kidding me. <laughs> no. Jesus." In practice, you gotta let me smell your fingers. <laughs> oh yeah, wait till you smell my middle finger. I ain't washing my hands. How does it work? Who pays for dinner? Oh, she did. She, she's giving me an allowance for gifts to buy her. She just told me that she wants like jewelry and stuff, and she doesn't expect me to pay for it. She knows I only make a couple of million a year. Wow. Oh, yeah, she cleared out the restaurant. And and then what? Did she clear out your ball sack? <laughs> yeah. You think I could hide in your closet and watch? Dude. <laughs> Absolutely. You're my bro. And how cool was it when you threw me a pass and I scored and Taylor was watching? I know. I did that for you, buddy. Dude. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, Taylor Swift, she falls hard. She loves it. Oh, yeah. you should have seen. I don't know if you've seen her face. She's like beating on the window of oh, the yeah. box they're I, sitting in, screaming yeah, right. because he caught that pass. Hey, Patrick, did you see when uh, my girl was beating on the window? And I, I <laughs> yeah, she was beating on the window. Unbelievable. <laughs> I got to tell you, all my years being a quarterback. I never had celebrity pussy. What's it like? Ah, uh, you don't, you know, I fucked a lot of girls in college and stuff. Yeah. But celebrity vagina is a whole fucking other level. Really? Never had it. Yeah, you know, it's a shame. You're one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you've never had celebrity vagina. I know. I feel shit. You're not going to You took yourself off the market too early. Yeah, I'm jerking off on my carpet now and pretending it's Taylor Swift. <laughs> hey, dude, that's my girl. <laughs>
this is weird, but can I smell your cock? Yeah, you're my bro. Yeah, absolutely, you can smell my cock. Wow, I never had celebrity pussy, and just to be able to smell your... You, do you wear your a rubber? Cock. Fuck You're no. going to sniff his cock? Wait a minute, Mahomes. Hey, who's that on the phone listening in? <laughs> I'm here. I'm listening in on this conversation. Dude, you can smell my cock. You going in without a rubber? Hell yeah. I want to get her pregnant. <laughs> I want her to have my baby. Are you kidding? Yeah, I feel like a schmuck. I'm just sitting here fucking my wife over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, Patrick. Uh, it's really amazing. And you, my jersey is outselling yours now just because I'm fucking Taylor Swift. I know. I'm the, I'm the QB. I'm supposed to be number one. I've had the same goddamn vagina since high school. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a drag, man. You should have stayed single. I know. I could be getting Selena Gomez right now, I bet. Or Demi Lovato. I mean, I... I'd fuck Oprah at this point. I'm desperate for celebrity pussy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's quite, you know, it was always a fantasy of mine to fuck someone famous. I never thought I'd get someone on the level of Taylor Swift. I figured like, uh, uh, I don't know, like maybe um, at this point, like a, I don't even know. I mean, like someone lesser. Make, someone like a Taylor famous. Swift backup singer. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I would have been happy to get a guitar player if it was a woman. That's right. A Taylor Swift backup singer, I figured I'd be fucking. Or someone like, like, a, like maybe Elvira or, you know, one of, you know, oh, someone. Wow. Yeah. Like, uh. Maybe one of those influencers. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Somebody yeah, who's I on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, I figured I, I'd be fucking Kate from John and Kate Plus 8. You know what I mean? I never think I'd be fucking Taylor Swift or like an Ashley Teasdale. You know what I mean? Not, yeah. not Taylor Swift. I didn't think I'd be getting her. I can't believe you're getting her, bro. I know. I'd even take like an Olivia Jade. Uh, but when I got Taylor Swift, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> we were all like, what the fuck? But it's unbelievable being with Taylor Swift. I, it's just the greatest thing ever. I can't believe yeah, I heard you got some her. announcer saying today that he's caught a lot of passes, but Taylor Swift is his greatest catch ever. <laughs> hey, uh, he's right, this guy. <laughs> and I mean, I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, and I've never even been near. I mean. I even I, I would even take like Kim Kardashian's cousin. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm having a pretty good time with uh, Taylor. I'm like she's already writing songs about me. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be even more famous. Her, her whole bastard. next album's gonna be about you. Yeah. <laughs> My whole next the whole next album. Uh, I said to Taylor, oh, stop writing songs about me. She goes, you, my whole, are you kidding? I'm so in love with you. I'm, I, already, I already have a song she tells me about going to the football game and when I caught the pass. It's called <laughs> Catch the Pass. She's writing it right now. Wow. Yeah. The other dynamic I love is watching her with his mother and yeah. seeing how the mom is sort of ignoring Taylor. And Taylor's yeah. trying to get the mom's attention. Well, that's it. You know, like as famous as Taylor Swift is, she wants to get in good with Travis Kelsey's mom. Yeah. She was working it through the whole game. 
all the game. Yeah. yeah. She was sitting there talking to her. The mom's just looking straight forward. She's just watching the game. Yeah, but, but like, uh, Taylor's like, hmm, I've got to prove to her, like, she probably has misconceptions about it. I'm going to show her what a great gal I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's humbling. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that, like, I remember, you know, meeting my in-laws for the first time. I had, I had to work really hard. They, you know, I had quite a horrible reputation. <laughs> my wife's mother hung up the phone when she told, uh, her yeah. mother that she was dating uh, me. So I had to, I had my work cut out for me. Like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, I'm real good behavior. Like, from the Leave it to Beaver show, I'm that kid who used to come in and, Eddie He's Haskell. So nice. Eddie Haskell, yeah, him. Eddie, I'm like Eddie Haskell around her parents. <laughs> Meanwhile, has Taylor Swift ever dated a guy and not written a song about him? How shitty would that guy feel? I, my luck, I'd go out with Taylor Swift. I'd be like, where's my song? Oh, I never bothered to write one about you. You He's never even rated a song? Yeah, no. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. You know what? I just don't think about that. You didn't inspire a song. <laughs> wow. Oh, Travis Kelsey, man. He must he must be like, holy fuck. And the, you know, young love, man. It's like, imagine those phone oh. calls, but, you know. Hi, hi, Taylor. It's me. Of course I know it's you. <laughs> of course I know my love. You think they've told, each, they've told each other they love each other if she showed up at a game? Yeah, I don't think so. No, I she's still so. trying to get that. No, 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 no. Because no. I looked at if she had said that, if he had said that, she'd be more secure around mom. So she's really still working it. I want to tell you something, Travis, but I'm I think I'm nervous. What is it, baby? Go ahead and say Baby. It. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, stop good. commenting on my <laughs> conversation with my girlfriend. <laughs> Travis, I I feel funny saying it first. Oh, baby, I miss the smell of your vagina, the famous vagina. <laughs> oh, Travis, is that all I am, this famous vagina? I'm only joking, my love. I love you so much. There, you said it. I love you. I wanted to make my declaration. Hmm. I'm writing a song about you. You are? What's it about? Having difficulty rhyming. Travis Kelsey's salty load. <laughs> and then I, I, I don't have the next sentence. The first sentence of this song is Travis Kelsey's salty load? Yes. Yes, it is. I love you, baby. By the way, road rhymes with salty load. Just helping out. <laughs> Why don't you just leave the songwriting to me? <laughs> Tonight, baby, I want to ask you a question and don't think I'm being gross. Go ahead. Anything you say is good with me because we have young love. I'm wondering if, uh, oh, I feel so silly, but. Patrick Mahomes, I'm just going to come out and say, Patrick Mahomes wants a pair of your soiled panties and he won't <laughs> stop asking. Do you think that would be gross if I just took a pair of your underwear and gave it to him? I don't know. I feel funny about it. The thought of Patrick Mahomes, you would, I would think you want me to only give you my panties. You don't want to give them to Patrick. You're right, baby. I'm a stupid jock. I'm an idiot. I apologize. <laughs> I'm not giving Patrick Mahomes your panties. 
Oh, that's so romantic. Hmm. How are you working? You working on the song while I'm talking to you? Yeah. What rhymes with this sentence? Yum, yum, yum. I love his chode. My chode. <laughs> How about road? You keep saying road, honey. It's so cute. <laughs> There's a uh, picture going around on the Internet of Taylor Swift's knees all banged up. People are saying it's from Travis fucking her hard. And I'm oh not sure if it's real God. or not, but, you know, people are having a field day because it's it's exciting. But uh, yeah, there it is. I wonder if somebody photoshopped that in. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. It's weird. I remember once when I was single, I had sex with somebody with my knees were all banged up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> How'd that happen? I had rug burns. <laughs> I love. I love. I love. What's going on there? <laughs> my my uh, megaphone is. Hello, check 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 check. There you check. go. Right. <laughs> check check check. It's not working. No, it's it's dying. You need batteries a bit. Travis, I love your big dumb cock. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, let's go on with the email. Um, so, but anyway, people like uh, the imagining of Taylor Swift and. Um, Travis Kelsey. Uh, Howard, when I heard Taylor was at a Chiefs game, I had no idea that would inspire a 40-minute conversation about Travis Kelsey's cock. Hilarious. By the way, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick is now fielding yeah, questions. weighing in. Yeah. I have the tape. Here it is. Here's Bill Belichick on Taylor Swift and Travis Swifty Kelsey. Swifty. Uh, Taylor Swift was in attendance to watch Travis Kelsey's game with his mom in the box. Seems like they may be the new it couple. Where do you fall on that? <laughs> Travis Kelsey. Yeah, we're trying to get somebody on my team. We're trying to get the RQB to date Selena Gomez. We're, we're, we're... Kelsey, Taylor Swift, power couple in the NFL. <laughs> well, I would say that Travis Kelsey's had a lot. Kelsey's had a lot of big catches in his career. <laughs> this would be the biggest. Bill Belichick oh, joking oh, yeah, around. Belichick, who says it? I was God. Yeah, nice big deep voice. <laughs> All Great right. Question. He's, he's, I didn't know he had such a deep voice. Could have been yeah. a radio guy. Yeah. Uh, Travis Kelsey's had a. Uh, a lot of good catches in his career, but I would say this is his biggest one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, way to go. <laughs> I am Bill Belichick. A lot of people don't realize I have a very, very deep voice when I'm being <laughs> How do you feel about the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, Bill? You're a Swifty. Well, <laughs> well, I would say I could fuck her harder than Travis Kelsey, honestly. <laughs> Really? You could fuck Taylor Swift? That's right. I'm secretly filming Taylor Swift to analyze her weaknesses. <laughs> uh, I would crush her skull with my giant balls. Well, okay. That doesn't sound anyway, romantic, people... Bill. No, you don't like that? <laughs> Bill, that's not very romantic. <laughs> oh, you would love it, Robin. Are you kidding me? My giant balls would crush that head of yours. You would be in ecstasy. You, you and Taylor Swift together would love it. You know, in high school they used to call me Big Balls Belichick. Uh, you know, my 
voice changed very, very early in life, and I was quite a ball player myself. And now as a, uh, you know, as a coach. You've been around those balls and that voice for a long time. Yeah, people used to think I was fat. It's just my balls were, were so big. It <laughs> made it look like I had a big belly. It's like a chick with big tits. <laughs> That's why Brady left our team. He was jealous of my enormous testicles. <laughs> Brady couldn't handle it. You know what I mean? So, what are you going to do? Listen, I'm a fucking coach. I got big balls. I fuck like a monster. Uh, who cares? You want to fuck Taylor Swift? Go ahead. I don't care about that. You know, at night, my wife has to lay out a giant beanbag to rest my balls on while she blows me. I'm not kidding. Really? Wow. That's amazing. Giant beanbag, huh? I didn't um, People like that we... Um, Gave out my junk as prizes yesterday. I have a ah, warehouse full of shit that I saved. Is is uh, popular? Yeah. For the first time in a while, I played a game with one of my listeners and gave out some prizes. I have a warehouse that I'm trying to. I the bills are astronomical for this what, stuff. You've been talking about getting rid of this stuff for years. What's going on? We can't get rid of it. It's like crazy <laughs> because someone has to go through it because maybe there's something valuable in there. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. But anyway, uh, so we decided to give away some uh, random items, some random junk that's been in my storage unit. But it seems like it's treasure to my audience. Uh, Kim from New Jersey, winner of the squirrel autograph, said, um, to my surprise, <laughs> I was able to actually participate in a contest with Howard and Robin this morning. I just want to say how much fun it was for me and that I was so excited to be on the show. I wish I had more time to tell Howard that I think he looks better than he ever has. And that Robin looks fantastic, too. Thanks again for the prize. Uh, would you send stuff from Howard's storage shed to Canada? I've been a huge fan for many years, and I'd love to have any memorabilia from the Stern show. Uh, Howard, people will pay big money for your stuff in that warehouse. Just open it up and have an auction. Donate the proceeds to North Shore or Beth, Beth's furry friends. Mary Ann from Brooklyn left me an outraged voicemail for calling my old junk garbage. She didn't like it. <laughs> garbage? That's not garbage, Howard. That's Howard's treasure trove. Oh, my God. What I give for 100 danglers. I got a few. I've got a couple of danglers here, but I don't have 100. I make a Christmas tree with all the Howard danglers hanging from it. All I need is Howard in my life. It's not garbage. It's Howard's treasure trove. And Howard, I could come up there and I would dive into the dumpster to pick out all the goodies. And I spread the joy. I, I wrap things up for people and I ship it to them or I hand deliver it like Santa Claus. Ho, 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 Howard. I love you. All I need. Um, amazing. Some of the garbage we haven't given away yet, which I will. I, I I got Anderson Cooper coming in, but I did have a little game we could play. I don't think we're going to have enough time today, but maybe tomorrow I'll give away uh, some of my some garbage. Some more junk, yes. Okay. Well, here's here's something people might like. You know, I've received Best Hair Award about seven times in my life, and we and have there's all a real award, right? Yeah, there it's is a trophy. A real award. Yeah, I have seven trophies, and uh, I'm going to give somebody <laughs> all seven trophies, not just one. <laughs> I got to get rid of this shit. I've got, I think. Hundreds of Howard Stern for Governor pins. I'm just going to hand someone boxes of them. <laughs> Howard That's for funny. Governor. Howard for Governor bumper stickers. I got a bunch of those. Um, here's a, I got a bumper sticker that says Al's hubcaps support Howard Stern for Governor. That's up for grabs. 
It says, fry the criminals, fill the potholes with their ashes. Listen, what is this? This is going to be a big item. A fan made a quilted blanket with Howard and Robin's faces stitched onto oh it. Oh, my That's, goodness. I've been saying, you imagine what that smells like sitting <laughs> in a warehouse for the last 25 years. I got a game that uh, is interesting. It's um, I'm going to play you stuff from comedians. You tell me whether it's the actual comedian's joke or chat GPT wrote it. Ooh, okay. Yeah. But I don't have time today to play it. Maybe tomorrow. Um, yesterday we played uh, what would religious Internet radio shows pray for people yeah. like that. Uh, in fact, I tell you what, people liked it so much, I'm going to give you a new prank phone call. We called a religious internet show in, in honor of yesterday's big game. We had our own George Takai, Takei, rather, impressionist, ask a religious show to pray for his Star Trek co-star, William Shatner. You could imagine. <laughs> because yesterday was so much fun, Robin, and we had so much fun playing what would religious yeah. shows pray for. Here it is for your listening pleasure. George Takei calling a religious internet show about William Shatner, who he does not like. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Oh, praise the Lord. We got somebody to uh, call her. All right. Hi, my name is George. Could I please get a prayer? Hey, George. Yes, you most certainly can. What you want me to pray for? I'd like you to pray for my friend, Bill Shatner. Bill Chapman. Bill Chapman? I surely will. Let's pray. Can you pray that a bird snatches Bill Shatner's toupee? Yeah. And the world laughs at his disgusting, bald, blubberous head. So we pray for Bill that, uh, Hallelujah. that he will, uh, realize that, uh, without hair, he's, he's fine. Amen. Amen. He's fine. And thank you, George, for being a friend. Oh, God bless you. And to hell with Bill Shatner. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, God. Can oh you God. pray that Bill gets diarrhea so profound, no. not even his double strength depends can contain it? No, that I won't do. Oh, we don't play with that foolishness out there. I see we've got a new caller on here. Identify yourself. Hi, my name is Bill. Could I please get a prayer? Yeah, we'll see. Can you pray that George stops obsessing over the fact that I was the bigger star on Star Trek? Yeah, I grew up with Star Trek. And yes, and we pray for Bill. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Amen. Praise God. Oh, hold on. Somebody's at the door. Okay. Georgie, I was just talking about you on the radio. Yes, I was driving by when I heard it. Now stop talking shit about me. Oh, you jealous loser. Uh -huh. Set your phaser to get the fuck off my porch. Leaking in the Oh, God, I would have This broadcast is not a playground for the enemy. You right. will try your best. But this broadcast is blood covered. Know that it's blood covered. Well, just, oh, God, thank you, God. Just... Caller, you're live on the air. Hi, it's Bill again. Hello. I just wanted to say thank you. Georgie and I have totally made up thanks to your prayers. Yeah, there you Praise go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, yes. I feel a friendship and passion for Bill that I've never felt before. Oh, man, this is powerful. Thank you. Very powerful. Kiss 
me, Bill? Oh, my. This is not good. Not good. I'm setting a course for your prostate. Oh, my God. Oh, God. It's homosexual. It's evil. Oh, yeah. Quick, I'm going to come. Oh, God. Use my hairpiece. There are things the Lord hates, especially with homosexuality, and are an abomination to Him. This LGBT agenda. Amen. We do not play with foolish callers. We will disconnect you. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah. The devil will try his best to interrupt the word. So, till then, you be blessed. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Wow. Wow. What a, what an opus. What a, what year is whatever they're playing that record no. from? <laughs> wow. We got a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, what else is in the mail? Uh, oh, Oh, uh, one of our fans wrote in. One of one of you alerted us that Sven Gulli, Sven Gulli, gave our own Richard Christie a shout out for really? the picture he sent us. Yes, uh, Richard Christie was at Blobfest in Pennsylvania. <laughs> this is Richard Christie, a grown man who has two children. A weekend now. with Richard at Blobfest. Yeah, this fan wrote, "Richard's the cutest." He sent Sven Gulli a picture, and Sven actually mentioned him on the air. Uh, here is a uh, here is the exclusive clip of Sven Gulli acknowledging Richard Christie, which makes him come in his pants. Hey, look who this is! Our friend from the Howard Stern Show, Richard Christie. He sent us this picture from the recent Blobfest in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, as he put it, right near Berwyn, PA. Berwyn. That's right. He said he must have gotten at least two hundred compliments on his Sven shirt and hat. And he and his sons Carson and Camera watches every week, and he says they love to sing the Sven Gulli stomp, which must make him say enough with the singing already you bet where do you see Svenguli? i mean i, I know <laughs> I he was Svenguli was a thing in the midwest because when i worked in the midwest for a short nine months people would call in about Svenguli, and i was like oh yeah like i would pretend on the air like i knew who that was because i was trying to be accepted by detroit which is a hard community to break into like the detroit metro area is like there's a lot of chips on people's shoulders out there about New Yorkers. And I was from New York. So I'm like, yeah, Sven the coolest man. We're going to try and get him on the show. And I'm like, what the fuck? Somebody tell me who that is. <laughs> you know? That's back in the day when I try to win over the audience. And I'd be like, you know what? And I came to the realization when I moved to Washington, fuck the audience. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to say fuck you to everybody in the audience. Because I didn't know who Sven was. But it turned out Sven was a guy like Zachary. Here in New York, and I love Zachary, so I guess I I could I could get behind Sven Gulli, right, Richard? Sven Gulli. Oh, he's the best. He's a, every Saturday night, eight p.m. Eastern on Me TV, Robin's favorite TV channel. <laughs> I've never he's still on it. Sven Gulli, still he's on. Like he's, you know, he, it, he has a career. In other words, he's uh, yeah. he's happening. Yeah. 
He's wow. huge. He's on like network TV. Yeah. And it's funny. The Svingooly that you were probably talking about in Detroit, Howard, was probably there was an original Svingooly in the 70s. And right. then this Svingooly replaced him. And this yeah. Svingooly used to be called Son of Svingooly. And then he just became Svingooly. Well, I guess it's like the Bozo franchise. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, there was that the original Bozo was a guy, Larry Harmon or something. And then there were some other Bozos. And, uh, yeah, Svenguli and then son of Svenguli. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great name, Svenguli. I love and it. He, oh, he, he's he the best. plays these uh, horror movies. Is that what it, what it is? Yeah. Oh, the okay. best horror movies. Yeah. He uh, um, played a movie called Return of the Vampire on Saturday night, and that's when he gave me a shout-out and showed my picture. <laughs> it was People, awesome. uh, he, he yeah, played the Ghoulies movies recently. <laughs> It's a picture of Richard in a Svenguli hat and shirt, and he's the shirt says Svenguli on it. And, you know, very well, attractive. Everybody, everybody at that Blob Fest, it's celebrating the original Blob movie. So everybody there loves old horror movies. And I, I swear I got stopped every five seconds. Oh, cool shirt, dude. Like, people loved my Svenguli outfit. You know, I just realized this is the most... This is the most anyone's mentioned Svenguli uh, ever on the radio. I mean, <laughs> this is the most anyone in America has ever said Svenguli, quite frankly, during this conversation. And What's this note I got? Because I don't know much about this guy. This Svenguli used to do an accent, and then he dropped it halfway through the 80s. Do you know about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He used to do like a vampire Transylvania accent, and now he just sounds like a guy from Chicago. Uh, he kind of gave up on it a while back, yeah. Yeah, Zachary used to talk like this. This is how Zachary here. I think he was trying to be a vampire. Grandmama, he used to talk grandmama. like Grandmama. He's a Grandmama, you're in a crib, for God's sakes. Please be quiet, Grandma. So he's yelling at his grandmother. I love it. And she was a skeleton, right? Wasn't she yeah. a skeleton? Yeah, she was like a something? skeleton that sat in a crib. They had a big budget on that show. <laughs> when um, we talked, we interviewed Zachary about you because you used to work with him. He had really, really nice things to say about you back in the day. Did I work with Zachary? Oh, yeah, maybe for a while he was at K Rock. On the radio. Yeah. 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 I forgot that. Yeah, Zachary. Mm -hmm. Zachary yeah. was at K Rock? Yeah, for a little bit. I think they hired him. Wow. You know. Hundred percent. I remember that. Yeah, he was an old man at that point. God knows how old he was. Well, he's anyway. one of those guys that was always an old man, even like back in the fifties <laughs> and sixties. Yeah. He was an old <laughs> was man. Old. Before he was an old man. Yeah, he was a disc jockey. Like back uh, when I was in high school, he it was weird. He, he wasn't Zach. He was Zachary on WPLJ. It was weird. He was on an album rock station. I thought it was John Zachary. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, "Oh, this old Zach here. We're playing some Fleetwood Mac for you." <laughs> Howard, we talked to him one day because I remember it was super weird. He was very old, but still lived with his mother, which is crazy. <laughs> wow. He was like seventy. He was like seventy something. Hello, mother. It's me, Zachary. I'm here. <laughs> hey, how much money can you make being Svengooly? Like, is he a wealthy guy? I mean, he can't be, he does, right? It's he does a lot of appearances, and I think he does pretty good. He gets like thousands of people at his appearances. Really? So I see him. Does like he this. have the you know the chain maker on his belt <laughs> and, Wait, for pictures? and charge people for pictures? <laughs> I've never been at an appearance, so that's a good question, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you, Svenguli. Uh, Richard out there doing his thing, and uh, Thanks, I'd like to know uh, how much money Svenguli's making. Zachary died at ninety-eight years old in two thousand sixteen. Oh, wow! 
Anyway, was, he, was his speaking. mother still with us, or did uh, Grandma she go before him? <laughs> she was one hundred and forty. Mother, exactly. Uh, speaking of Richard, he stayed home sick with COVID last week. He said his eyes couldn't focus. Like me, listeners were concerned about Richard's health. I had eye pain and blurry vision with COVID. Even taking Paxlovid, the damage is permanent. I now have weakened eyesight. Are, is your oh. eyesight back to normal, one hundred percent? Thankfully, yes, and thanks for asking, Howard. Yep, I'm all good. They were blurry for a couple hours, and then things got better. I'll be honest with you. I hate reading these emails about COVID because it scares me. Like, Richard, be careful with COVID. Our friend's father got it, and he was feeling better when it just got one. And then it got a thousand times worse overnight. He went into a coma and never woke up. Wow. Um, Jeez. Did Richard go to the doctor? I don't understand how he's not more freaked out about his vision. Richard called his dad. To tell him about his COVID, and this was his father's advice. I love listening to you and your dad with the the country advice. You know, (laughs) don't go to no doctor there, Richard. Okay. Hello. What are you doing? Well, I'm not doing much. Getting ready to go to pot here. I got to make a twinkle. Well, I won't keep you too long then. But uh, I got COVID. I damn. My eyes were kind of blurry for a while, and I didn't know if you knew how to fix that. Your eyes were blurry. Like I heard one time where you can rub piss in them. Where did you hear that? I don't know. It just seems like it's an old remedy or something. Did you ever rub piss in your eyes? No, I haven't. I think I'd rather have blurry eyes than rub piss in them. I need my vision to be 100% because October's coming up. October? What is it? Oh, that's where me and Sal do weird stuff. We might play air hockey with our cocks next month. (laughs) Oh, shit. October. Okay, bub, you take care of yourself. All right, you too. Take care, and thanks for the advice. Okay, bye, bub. All right, bye. Can you imagine if, like, Richard's dad was actually brilliant and it turns out piss is the cure for COVID all this time we've been wasting? (laughs) When I was listening to this, I had a feeling like rubbing piss on something is Richard's dad's cure for everything. Everything, yeah. Hey, Dad, I got rabies. I heard somewhere if you rub your own piss on it, you get rid of them rabies. Yeah, but I also got, I have gum disease. You gotta pee in your own mouth, I tell you. <laughs> I have an earache. Put piss in your ears. <laughs> Imagine if piss cured COVID after all this time and no one realized it. It's like, you know, that penicillin was like uh, some mold or some shit they found on a rock mm-hmm. and uh, it cured It was on uh, bread or something, how, uh, but not a rock. <laughs> well, I looked no, it up. It was a rock. They grew it at their <laughs> moss or. Uh, hey, I heard uh, uh, about cancer. You know what'll lick that quick? Piss. If you pee <laughs> on the cancer, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I'm constipated, uh, Mr. Christie. Yeah, well, well, you got to piss up your own ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Has your dad ever been sick, Richard? <laughs> yeah, oh, one time I, I one had to piss on him. <laughs> yeah, one time we out here on the farm, I got a headache. I was a young man, and I, 
I let a horse kick me in the head, and <laughs> it got rid of that headache all right. <laughs> yeah, but, well, Mr. Christie, what about, like, something really serious like leukemia? Oh, that leukemia, you, turns out you can reverse leukemia by shitting in your hand. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about a simple thing like a cavity? Richard had cavities when he was a boy. Did you send him to a dentist? No, we just had him gargle with my piss. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Did that work? Oh, yeah, he was fine. He I didn't probably would have tried that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have no problem. Yeah, I love, I your love how your dad Thank also you. says he heard. Yeah. So it's who knows where he well, this. I and looked he it just up. Takes everybody, whoever says it, who's not a doctor, they're more of an authority for him yeah. than somebody who went to medical school. Well, yeah, I love he Richard. heard it from some old lady down the road. But I looked it <laughs> up, and and I think it maybe in the old days people tried it for pink eye, but then the, all these articles I saw, they're like, no, do not rub piss in your eye. It's not good. <laughs> I love Richard's dad because like he's the only guy I've ever heard on the phone. Like Richard had like when he came to us and started work and he had such bad teeth and everything he had like 17 cavities and his and the father's like listen whatever you do don't go to a dentist like he encouraged <laughs> him not to go to a dentist your sister went to one of them dentists and she had a real bad time you know like oh my god well my yeah. dad and my mom have false teeth so they don't have to deal with dentists <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know richard your grandma had uh what they call alzheimer's and uh we pissed in her ears <laughs> and it got rid of it. She was fine. <laughs> and, uh, we got all kind of remedies. So you call me, Bob, when you got a... You know, if you ever have one of them strokes, you know what mm -hmm. cures that? What's that? Beaver cum. <laughs> I got to jerk off a beaver? <laughs> yeah, you just got to jerk off a beaver. And uh, you'll be fine. Okay. Remember when you was little and you had tonsillitis? Yeah. And you you had to suck your own penis and swallow the load <laughs> fresh. Cured yeah. it right up. <laughs> you were fine. Yeah, uh, I went right back to school, yeah. <laughs> remember when I had the cerebral palsy and I had <laughs> you pee in my asshole and it cleared it right up? <laughs> yeah, my, I couldn't use my arm or my leg on the left side and then the urine got in my asshole and that straightened me right out with that cerebral palsy yeah so your family never went to d regular checkups they didn't no, see doctors we never had one of them doctors <laughs> we never needed them we just pissed on it it was crazy i don't remember uh, going to the doctor much Robin. i got a sore throat right now i think i'm gonna Maybe I ought to take my pee. And, yeah, you uh, were just about to tinkle. Stand on uh, your head on and piss in your mouth. <laughs> let me just let me just gargle my piss right now. <laughs> yeah, that did the trick. Yeah, that piss works good. In fact, later today, I'm going to pee on some cancer kids who oh are over goodness. here up in Kansas City. Yeah, that was real nice, bub. 
Yeah, remember when you had lies, Richard, and we covered oh, yeah. your we covered your yeah. head with pig shit, and uh, <laughs> I peed in your mouth. <laughs> I had lies one a time, few times. Yeah. One time, your mom, uh, I remember, you sprained your ankle, and she rubbed horse shit on it. And uh, you were fine. Yeah, shit. I didn't know. Human shit works even better. You go to the bathroom. You're, you know, you're, you're letting out a medical miracle. You're wasting it. (laughs) I peed. I peed on a man in a wheelchair once, and he got up and break danced. Did you hear that? Did you hear that break dancing now is going to be an Olympic sport? I'm not fucking yes, around. They're I trying. Heard that. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. trying to get young kids. Hey, anyway, I gotta, I gotta take a break. Richard, uh, God bless. I'm glad you're feeling better with the COVID. And uh, thank you, Howard. Yeah. And uh, what else do people? You're not going to mention mm-hmm. that Ilya Kuryakin died. No, I didn't know that. You're telling me something I didn't know. I love that oh, guy, Ilya Kuryakin. But uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> I'm upset. Obviously. <laughs> I used to watch a TV show. Yeah, I used to watch a TV show called Man from Uncle. And um, it was like a spy show. It was like a James Bond kind of TV show. And Ilya Kuryakin was one of the, one of the, you know, good looking dudes who was a spy. Him and Robert Vaughn. I didn't hear that. How old was he? Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin. That's right. Were on the, the two characters on the show. And Robert Vaughn played Napoleon Solo. Uh, Ilya Kuryakin, with, uh, who was played by David McCallum, 90 years old, 90. Was still working on one of those CSI shows. Look at that. And, uh, and just died. Yeah. Oh, a bunch of you wrote us, uh, well, I better take a break. Okay. Uh, we'll take a break. I'll, uh, we're going to talk to, um, Anderson Cooper. I haven't spoken to him in a while. It's been, a, it's been a while. Anyway, uh, Anderson Cooper, I haven't seen Anderson since May of 2020. It's been uh, a while. Uh, he's sitting there casually in his T-shirt where you don't normally see him like that. This is the casual Anderson Cooper who uh, he's not wearing the uniform of a newsman right now. No, suit tie. no tie, no suit. <laughs> This is a book uh, author Anderson Cooper's outfit. <laughs> is that we're what the book author looks like? Okay. Yeah, uh, Anderson's like Barbie. Depending on what activity he's doing, he has an outfit for it. Uh, what does this mean on your shirt, Anderson? Varunga. What do, What are you saying to us uh, as an audience? <laughs> it's a big uh, Varunga. Uh, uh, it's a national park in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's like one of the great national parks in the world. And you've been there? Show yeah. off. Yeah. Do you like to wear shirts to show people where you've been, that you're worldly? No, uh, in I other words, just got this online because it's right. uh, like, and I, yeah, it's, I, I wear the same thing pretty much every day. By the way, Elvis Costello was like the first concert I ever went to. I can, I'm sure it was that or Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, but it was one of the two. Uh, and I, for Armed Forces, was my favorite album. How, me too. Now, how did you, uh, I mean, I used to play a lot of Elvis Costello on the radio when I was like a music disc jockey, but that's a very cool concert to have as your first concert. I had like a ridiculous, like a spanky in our gang, like spanky in our gang or something <laughs> over at the Westbury Music Fair. I didn't, I didn't have a cool concert. Elvis Costello, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I loved Elvis Costello. I, the Armed Forces was just, I, and I met him a couple of years ago, like at a hotel. He was leaving. I was coming in and, uh, I was like, Oh my God. I, I you know, I was one of those people. I was like, I, you were the first concert I ever saw. Uh, could not have been any less interested, <laughs> but. <laughs> 
I was always scared. Like when I got to interview him a hundred years ago, uh, I was scared of him because he was like a punk and he didn't give a shit about anything. Right. So I, you know, you get like that with certain people, right? Uh, you, their image is kind yes. of intimidating, yeah. you know? Even if you've yeah. met a million people, like some, there are these people who you find, like Prince, I, I met, um, in a really weird way in Los Angeles and he came over to talk to me and I, he, he said, uh, he sat down next to me. We were, it was at a dinner, and he sat down next to me, and he goes, uh, I moved to L.A. to be around people who are in it, and you're in it. And I was so nervous. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know totally what you mean. Yeah, I'm in it. Uh, and then I just went. I could not stop talking. I, I, every little piece of knowledge I knew about Prince just started pouring out of my mouth. I was like, oh, I just watched a documentary about Jehovah's Witnesses. Did you know that, uh, I, you know, did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses, there were innovations in bloodless surgery because of Jehovah's Witnesses? And he was like, yes, yes, I know, I know. And then for years, he would invite me to watch, see him play. At a, he said, he like, I throw parties. You should come. I was like, I would totally come to Prince's house. And uh, I would get messages every now and then like, oh, Prince is having a party tomorrow. Can you come? I'd be like, I'm in New York. I can't just like I don't I don't have a plane. I can't just go like I work. Musicians have no concept of what the real world is. They're so at one thing I know about musicians, they don't know from work. They don't, you know, they're, they're so insulated. They're, yeah. you know, in a way they're like the Astors. It's like they're so insulated. They live in such a bubble. They don't have concept that you have to go to work. I, know, or something. I, know. Like, I, I feel like such a nerd saying every time, like, I actually, I have a show at night. I can't just, I can't miss it for a party. And then finally he played in a room at the Gansevoort Hotel one time and invited me and I went and it was incredible. I was like, I don't know, 30 people or something in this room watching Prince play and he's playing and it's like, I don't know, he didn't go on to like 1 a.m. or something and I had, was working the next day and I'm exhausted, but I was so excited to see him and right before he went on, like one of his people came over to me and said, Prince would like you to stay afterward because uh, he'd like to talk to you about the financial crisis. This was like in 2008 and first of all, I know nothing about the financial crisis. I'm the last person to like give financial <laughs> advice. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Sure. And it got to, he kept playing and playing and it was like 2 a.m. then and like 2.30. And I was like, I got to get out of here. Did he keep the lights on when he played? I'm being serious because I went to see him. He was promoting a book. A photographer took a bunch of pictures of Prince. There was uh -huh. a woman I knew who was a very famous photographer and a great photographer. And they invited, like she said to me, why don't you come over? Uh -huh. Prince didn't know me. I go and Prince goes, Turn off the lights. I don't want to be seen. And the whole concert, he's, it's like listening to him on the radio. I couldn't it, see him. It, and I left. I couldn't believe it. I just yeah. remember there were no phones allowed, which I like. I, I mean, I, I'm all, right. I love that. Uh, and there were like people walking around policing that and making sure that wasn't happening. But it was incredible. I mean, to see Prince, I mean, it, it was up close like that. I, I, I did finally have to leave though, because I, it, it got to be so late. And he was like, I got too many hits. I got too many hits. He kept playing. And, uh, I finally had to leave and I, I had to go to his person like I, I i have to work at like 6 a.m tomorrow i i can't stay to talk about the financial crisis why don't people understand that <laughs> i have friends who call me and go what we're doing a party in los angeles this weekend the uh -huh. same kind of thing right. and i yeah, go yeah yeah Dudes, I live in New York. I can't just hop on a plane and go to love. That's a big like, undertaking. I would love to see you two at that new sphere in Las Vegas. But right. like, I don't know when. I mean, I, A, I don't even know how to get a ticket. But I don't know how I would even do that because I'm working all the time. And I, I feel like I, I, I'm. it's never going to happen.
Do you think that sphere is going to be the big thing that Dolan it, thinks it's going to be? I don't know. It looks incredible. I mean, I uh, from everything I've heard, it sounds incredible. And I mean, what do I know about you know show business? But it looks pretty cool. I totally like. It's got me thinking about going. So did did you read that article in the Times about Dolan his bank? Like I haven't. Dolan, I, I didn't read it. He, he inherited this. It so ties in with your book with Astor because it's like uh, Jim Dolan. Not Jim. Is his name Jim? Jim. Yeah, I guess. But but the guy who owns the Knicks and Madison right. Square Garden, he kind of inherited that. And now this is his big thing on his own. Hmm. He put together billions of dollars to build this giant sphere in Las Vegas. Right. And this is his gamble on the future right. of entertainment. And if the sphere takes off, he's going to do them all over the, wow. the world. But it's a big gamble for him. I, I you mean, know, I all, it got me interested. Like it, it's I feel like it's something that nobody's ever seen before. So that sounds like an, that comes along very rarely. So I don't know. I hope it's a success. I mean, that would be awesome. Isn't it weird how like someone like Prince or other people think, you know, about the financial crisis oh, because they see you doing the news. I know. But I guess they don't realize that's. Yes, you're an authority in the sense that a lot of I mean, the stuff I can you have get- a conversation about it, but like I, I have no insights. I, I'm not, and I never, and I don't pretend. I don't set myself up as as I'm not a. I like I don't know anything about finances and stuff. I mean, I, I barely know how to do my own finances. Well, well, it's true, but you know what it is. You see a guy doing the news, but they don't realize you're there to ask a financial expert <laughs> right, what yes. is the financial I bring crisis. In financial experts, yes. You really, you're not good with fi- like. I wonder uh, yeah. about. I wonder about you in like the news business. It, it seems to me if you had to go into the news business today, you might even say to like a young person, don't go in. It's, it's not what it was. It's kind of shitty. Like who's even the big news? I mean, your name I know. I know Anderson Cooper. I know, you know, I know some of the people more on the cable. That's because I'm just I, unusually pale and, you know, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, by the way, I read you said. Pale. You're upset that you're turning into a ghost? Like, you're for real, right? I am. Like, if I didn't wear these glasses, I would disappear. Like, you would not even be able to see me. I would be, I would absorb this light. I'm translucent. It's it's a weird thing. I noticed with my father as he got older, he sort of looked like he was disappearing. Yes, I feel like like I'm totally, yes. I'm not happy about it. Like, I used to have pepper in my hair. And I, like, I look, I I look now, I'm like, you've got these gorgeous locks. And uh, I'm like, you know, but you went gray like when you were in your 20s. I started going you? gray when I was 21, and like, but it was a patch right here, and then it just started spreading. But like, I always had sort of pepper, but now I look, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like me and Mike Pence. I, I, you, you would never color your hair? <laughs> uh, I think at this point that, that ship has sailed. I mean, I think that would be weird suddenly if yeah. I show up with like, <laughs> you know, and you know, the brown what? hair that I once had. And it's such a pain in the ass. That's why I remember like a couple of like 25 years ago, someone said to me, you should put um, something in your hair. I'm, I'm sitting in a in a um, in like in a beauty parlor, right? With right. tin foil yeah, in yeah. my hair. Well, no, that's what I've always said. Like, what am I going to do? Sit in some beauty salon with like tin foil in my hair, reading old copies of Rosie? I mean, you yeah. Know, like, wh- like it's not. Uh, wh- and you have to. I, from what I'm, t- I asked somebody about, they're like, "Yo, you have to do it every two weeks." And I'm yeah. like, "This seems insane." It's insane. Yeah. I, I, thank God like, I still have dark notice, hair. It's like you know how somebody. I don't know. Do you remember when you were in school and like low, like little kids? Do you remember everyone made fun of everybody else when they got a haircut, which always right. seemed like the most, the stupidest thing to make fun of people for because everybody would have to get a haircut. So you're, you're making fun of somebody knowing you're going to get made fun of 
the next time you get a haircut too. The whole thing seemed like, why did anybody set that up as a thing to make fun of other people about getting a haircut? Going back to the news business, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't even know who the three top anchors are on the networks on CBS, ABC, and NBC. I couldn't name one of them. I only watch cable news. I'm watching CNN or MSNBC. I don't, uh, I couldn't tell you. I mean, Right. I mean, the use of the- they, they, they get a lot. I mean, look, there people have been talking about the death of, of network news for a long time. But they, they still they get a very large audience. And, and um, you know, Lester Holt and David Muir and, and Nora O'Donnell. And, um, you know, a lot of people do watch watch the evening broadcast. But certainly do you watch it. Uh, I have not watched evening broadcast. In, no, in many, many years. I don't. I mean, I don't Why? watch I don't watch like regular television very much. You know, I, I watch I mean, I'm in the office a lot. I'm watching news, you know, cable news. Um, I tend to watch when I get home. I tend not to watch news because it's like being at work. So I watch, you know, the most, you know, I'm watching Top Boy right now on Netflix, you know, a British series about Jamaican drug gangs, um, which I love. It's the last season. It's a great show. It's such a good show. You're absolutely right. I've tried to To get Howard to watch it. To me, Top Boy (laughs) means a whole other thing, but you don't know my scene. Um, uh, (laughs) You're talking to a gay man, Howard. (laughs) I I know, I know. I'm joking. (laughs) Uh, But in other words, there, there, it's like, in other words, I would think because you're in the news business, you would watch the news and say, hmm, what's everybody else doing? Uh, you know, what delivery are they using? I don't know. There's I mean, a performance. Look, I'm, I'm following the news all day long. So, you know, through a whole variety of means. Um, but actually sitting down and watching, you know, I grew up watching CBS Evening News, ABC uh, News uh, as a kid. I grew up you know, idolizing Bob Simon and, you know, Peter Jennings and, and all these people. Um, Peter Jennings was good, right? I mean, we're talking good. about yeah. he had the look, he had the sound. Yes. I don't know if he knew anything, but he was he had a gravitas. He had a, he had a lot of experience overseas. I mean, he had been based in London. He traveled the world. He was he was and he was really he did really put foreign news on the his broadcast an awful lot. I mean, it was very important to him. Um, he, he didn't, you know, I worked at ABC. I was a very, I was like the youngest guy they'd hired in years and years when they hired me. Um, and so I, I got to see him somewhat from afar. I wasn't on his broadcast. I was very kind of junior correspondent, but, um, but yeah, I, I looked up to him. I really admired him. Would you ever call like a Dan Rather or a Katie Couric, people who have come before you, would you ever call them and say, you know, I'm struggling with something right now, whether it's a contract or management or or maybe some, I don't know, moral issue about news. Would you ever call those people and I'm say, I'm too shy to call anybody. I would never call anybody. In other words, I, I, I don't f- ask people for help. I, 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 I wish I could. I wish I did. It would be smart of me to. And I'm sure they would be receptive and nice. Dan Rather, I've met. Um, and I've had, I had lunch with him once and I, you know, he's had a remarkable career. Um, but I'm too shy to, to reach out to people. I mean, I, I, do you reach out to people? I, I'm, I'm, I wish I could. I'm just don't have that. I've re- very rarely ever been a- able to ask people for help or, or advice. Every time I've asked someone for advice, it kind of doesn't go the way I think it's going to go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like like I had some questions about sort of the business of broadcasting and stuff, and I want to know what other people do. Right. And I've tried with one or two people, and they look at me like I'm crazy or something. I talked like. to two people. I talked to three people. Uh, one of them is Andy Cohen, um, who I'm very close to. And by uh, the way, with Andy, 
I feel like, did, did you read it? You must have read his last book. Of course, yeah. He's so obsessed with you. Like, a lot of the book was Anderson Cooper, Anderson Cooper. That's, well, we, look, we spent a lot of time together, and we both have kids now, and we Yeah, but both... did you see the Cher thing that he put in about um, how Cher was calling him for your number? I, I don't you, recall did, that. But you don't recall it? Yeah, yeah. Did Cher ever call you? Uh, Cher texts text me, yeah. Andy's like... Besides, you know, it's like gay heaven. Cher was contacting him. Well, you know, it's funny because my mom, uh, I used to watch the Cher show when I was a kid. And my mom used to call Cher her fantasy daughter for some reason. My mom had never met Cher, but loved Cher. <laughs> your and mother's so, a trip. I know. And so when I yeah. finally met Cher, I was like, my God, you're, I think you're my sister. Like, because my, you're my, the fantasy daughter of my mom's, which I think makes you sort of my sister. Um, it's so crazy about your mom. Wasn't your mom, like, didn't you, when you were thinking of having kids, your mom was considering impregnation? getting imp oh, my, impregnated my mom this was this was 10 years this was like yeah this was like eight years before i decided to have a child but my mom yeah. really wanted me to have a kid and she called me up one time she was like honey there's something i really need to talk to you about and which with my mom that was an, a frequent call i would get it usually meant like i'm i'm gonna redecorate the apartment and you're gonna pay for it but uh it, or some <laughs> catastrophe had happened and she needed me to hide a body um, so I finally steeled myself. I went over to her house. She saw, I was like, Mom, what is it? And she was like, well, the most amazing thing happened. I went to the gynecologist the other day. My, preface this, my mom was 85 at the time. And I was like, okay, yeah. And uh, and she said, she told me the most amazing thing. She told me I could still bear a child. And I said, and with my mom, you couldn't have a reaction you could you had to be supportive so and I, so i perfected if people ask me like how do you have this like you know not react on air i've spent my life not reacting to my mom's crazy statements so i said mom i she said isn't that amazing i said yes mom i think that is amazing that a gynecologist told you that at age 85 you could still bear a child i think that's amazing and she said i said and then i'm immediately thinking how do i stop my mom from bearing a child and which is a thought i'm sure we've all had and i uh <laughs> and so i started saying, saying like you know mom i just you know i'm just not sure it's a good idea for you it's very you know labor intensive no pun intended uh, you know let's see at 85 the child when you turn when he's when the child is 20 you'll be what 105 <laughs> The math on that just doesn't seem good, Mom. And finally, she said, I'm not thinking about burying a child myself. I was like, okay, great. She said, I, you know, she was like, you know, you can get an egg anywhere nowadays. I was like, uh-huh. She was like, well, what I was thinking is you get an egg and, you know, fertilize it with your sperm and I'll carry your child. Oh, my God. Yeah. You must have been flipping the fuck out. You I, mom, said, I said, Mom, I love you, but even for you, <laughs> this is batshit crazy. Like, <laughs> that child will be on the cover of the New York Post every day for the rest of its life. How great would that have been if you impregnated your mother? And, 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 oh I mean, you, you'd be out of the news well, it would business. Not have you been know impregnating that. my mother. It would just, you know, she would well, yeah, kind of would be. Well, It'd be, whatever. It would be your sperm very shouldn't be anywhere. Your sperm shouldn't be anywhere near your mom. It would be I mean, very just, disturbing. It was disturbing oh in God. every. And even for my mom, it reached a whole new level of just craziness. Do you think she would have followed through no. on that? Was that <laughs> level no, of the whole thing was crazy. Then why would she do that? Why would she wanted to have a kid and you know? my mom was my mom you know was not the most sensible didn't sometimes think things through and would my mom would approach me with with ideas and you know some of them were really creative and interesting and some of them were just nutty well, getting back to your three people who you said one of the people was andy cohen yeah who i think is obsessed with you i didn't realize you guys met on a date i didn't no, know we, that we never had a date we we were set up on a blind date 
And oh. we had a phone call to set up the date and he violated my rule within a minute of talking to me. And I knew within a minute I would never go on a date with Andy Cohen. Which I know what the rule was. Yeah. Right away he brought up that you were a Vanderbilt and he wanted to fuck a Vanderbilt boy. That oh, was he, his say thing. That. he just said, oh, your mom's Gloria Vanderbilt. I was like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> this is, this is in his head. I was like, I'm not he, getting involved with Mr. Gus. He loves celebrity. He oh my God. really does. Yeah. From the time I mean, he was a kid, he's loved. And that's what's so amazing about his career is he has built exactly the what he always wanted to be when he was, you know, 12 years old going to Camp Nabagamon, writing letters home about celebrities to his mom. It's ex He's exactly the same person. Do you think, in your professional opinion, he moved right next door to Sarah Jessica Parker because it was like he loved that area and he loved that house? Or it's because he wants to wake up and know he's next to Sarah <laughs> well, Jessica I don't know. Parker? I, I don't know how close he is. I haven't been out there. but I think he's next door. I don't know. I don't know. No, look, I, he's been out there. He's been out in the in Sag Harbor for, you know, his entire lifetime. And he finally got a house on the beach. He, and he's, he, he's happy. He's, he's never said to you, oh, my God, Anderson, I live next door to Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. No. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I can't figure him out. You no. know what I mean? <laughs> uh, what's, so, so, okay, the other two, you, so you turn to Andy Cohn for professional advice. Right. And who were the other two people? Uh, I won't say. Oh, no? Yeah, no. Why? Because I, uh, yeah, I, I trust, I, they, uh, the conversations I have with them are private and, and, uh, yeah, they're not people who would. Are well, I'm not asking you the content. No, I know, but they're just not people that, like, they're not people you would know and they're not people who were, you know, interested in being known. Oh, I see. They're, they're, they're not famous people. Yeah, they're not famous people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, I, I think one of the most gracious things that ever happened to me when I was, I was going to renew a contract, Jerry Seinfeld called me up and said, hey, Let's have dinner and just talk about you and what your future is going to be, awesome. what you're going to do. He's How a, he's awesome a lovely, was that? I mean, he's a lovely guy. A lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just thought that was so nice. But but I'm, but getting back to my point, and we'll get to the book, Astor, because I did I, read I'm it. Not here at, to, at, at, I'm not uh, here to Well, you, you are here to No, sell. I'm anxious I like to hear having about it. I love yeah. 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 Uh, The, the chance stories. to have a conversation uh, with you is something I would welcome any time. I, I love this. I'm just curious with the news business mm -hmm. because, again, I'm hung up on the fact that the business has changed. Like, I mean, I don't know what goes on at CNN and stuff and who the big star is there, but I think it's you, right? I mean, you are the biggest star on Look, CNN. There's a lot of, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't. Who's think bigger? Look, Wolf? There, there's household. No, Wolf Blitzer is a legend in this business. I mean, it, uh, there's. It, I don't even know what that means. A big star. I mean, well, well look, are you aware? I got an hour show at night, and I'm, you know, trying to do my best. And sometimes I do okay, and sometimes I don't. And um, when, yeah, when, what do you mean by change? Your... And 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 the stuff that got me interested in it is you know traveling overseas and going to you know, bear witness to human suffering and, and the human experience. And that, that's the stuff that really got me interested in, in news in the first place. But they and don't care about that. It seems to me they don't care as much about that anymore. It's either the story true. is... I think CNN is, is, I mean, I know CNN is one of the few news organizations that still has bureaus all around the world. I mean, ABC, when Peter Jennings was, you know, at ABC, they had foreign bureaus that that obviously that business has shrunk for uh, for some of the broadcast networks. But for CNN, I mean, 
That's why when something happens anywhere around the world, CNN can mobilize everybody. I mean, the BBC obviously has uh, also uh, a lot of foreign coverage, but for for an American, you know, for American-based network, CNN is the only one doing this. It seems to me that Trump not only has changed our world, but he's changed the entire news business. It's almost like we're so addicted to hearing about him that if you don't do a Trump story on your show, people aren't that interested. Like you, you just want to hear: Is Trump in trouble? Is he? In, it's like a, it's like an obsession throughout the country. If you know, it's kind of like, ah, eh, what's going on in uh, Ukraine? Eh, what's Trump doing? You know what I mean? You don't sense that. Uh, well, look, uh, there's a presidential race coming up, and it's, he is the leading candidate in that race. So it's, I mean, obviously politics becomes a big focus, particularly during a presidential campaign. But but I I would argue in the last, you know, couple of years when he wasn't running for president, he wasn't the focus. We weren't covering him as much if at all uh when once he left office and and frankly our ukraine war coverage i mean i spent i left you know after my second son was born i left a week later to go to ukraine for you know i don't know two three weeks or something um so or i, I was thinking i was there initially for three weeks and then after my son was born i think i went for for a week or two more weeks but um was it crazy? I mean, did you meet with Zelensky? And, I did and, not meet uh, with Zelensky. I mean, I was there for then the early for the first three early three weeks of the war. Uh, I was in the West though, when Lviv, which was you know, which was pretty safe um, at that point. Kiev was surrounded, and you know, we had great people in Kiev, Clarissa Ward and Matthew Chance, and and all these other people. Um, uh, you weren't scared. Again, I was in Lviv, so I mean there were you right. know, air raid sirens all the time and stuff. But uh, but uh, you know I I'm not an idiot. I, I'm aware of the security situation. But I very much wanted to be in Kiev. But you know there are other considerations when you're covering a war of if Kiev falls or if broadcast capabilities go down from Kiev, you need other people in the country from other locations. So Lviv was a location that probably wouldn't get knocked off the air. Can you believe there are people in this country who don't want to support Ukraine and don't want to supply arms to them? Don't you think that it would be a classic blunder? I can't even believe. Uh, how do you feel about the whole thing? Look, I, I think this is a um, look. This is a country that was invaded. This was a country that has been, you know, fighting to get back its territory in sort of a stalemate long before Russia uh, invaded again. But um, it, it is extraordinary when you look at the Republican, at, at many in the Republican Party who are arguing positions which were once completely the opposite of what people in the Republican Party w would be would be arguing. I find it remarkable that Zelensky was a you know, an entertainer. I was yeah. talking about it this morning. I, I actually Googled to see what he did as a comedian. He used yeah. to play the piano with his penis. That was his big <laughs> shtick. I'm not kidding. It's perfect for your show. He would, yeah. he would, he would have been I've perfect. done that. Yeah. I got fined by the FCC for that. <laughs> you know what's interesting about the way he, when he ran for president, he did it in a really unusual way in Ukraine. And for anybody, he was making these videos like of him working out and he would just talk to the camera. And so he was running. He wasn't doing mass rallies like a traditional candidate. And that that really helped him. And so it's interesting knowing that because do you remember when the invasion started like that first night, there was all those stories that he had fled. Maybe he was dead. And he went out to the square 
uh, with his, you know, immediate team of advisors. And he made this video like, I'm here, the minister is here, this minister is here. And it was very much in line with the kind of campaign videos he had made. And I think he's done that to great effect. He's, I mean, there were a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of Ukrainians who didn't vote for him in, in the election who have come to, you know, feel he's risen to this challenge in an extraordinary way it is it's a it's an extraordinary story and he's an extraordinary man yeah but and, and, and i mean for you know for the ukrainian people to have been able to resist this invasion in those early days is incredible i mean what was going right. on there you know the you had Russian forces in Kiev landing at the at the airfield right there. You know, our, our Matthew Chance was right there when there a fight with Russian forces uh, and went up thinking that they were Ukrainian forces and they were actually like Russian special forces guys. Um, and that they were able to, with, you know, Molotov cocktails and the stuff they had prevent this onslaught is is truly an incredible, incredible tale. Yeah, because if you remember back, they had nothing. They yeah. had nothing. They were like fighting with pitchforks compared yeah. to the Russian and, and army. And I mean, I was in Bucha, you know, weeks after it was liberated. And, you know, uh, to see the bloodstains still in the streets where Russian forces had occupied and would just, you know, shoot somebody coming home with a bag of onions on their bicycle, shoot somebody. And, and a Ukrainian guy hiding in his attic took pictures and videotaped that. And that has become evidence in possible war crimes uh, prosecution. Must be weird covering that stuff for you. When you I mean, you, you literally see people die. You know, most of us haven't seen that. Most of us haven't seen a dead body laying in the street. When yeah. you see that, that's a, that's traumatic, right? I mean, that it, when you just see a body laying in the street. Yeah, you know, I started early on going to, um, I was in Rwanda very, very briefly during the genocide there where a million people were killed in 100 days in a very personal, brutal way. Um, I was in Somalia in the famine, the civil war. I've, I've seen a lot of people get killed and, and I've seen a lot of bodies that have been out in the sun for weeks and months. And, um, yeah, you never get used to it and you should never get used to it because as a reporter, your job is to be disturbed by what you see and to see it with fresh eyes so that you can broadcast and tell the story with the, the appropriate level of, humanity and and horror that it deserves do you ever get pissed off at colleagues who haven't done the hard reporting where they haven't gone overseas or they haven't actually covered stories because there are certain people in the business who are basically actors who read off a teleprompter and then there are people who actually created news covered news you're one of them doesn't it sometimes just get to you and you say that that dude doesn't know what he's talking about you know what i mean i look i i don't know I don't know. I don't know many people like that. If any people really? like that at CNN, but um, okay. but certainly, look, uh, everybody has a different path to 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 get where they got. And some people are not. Some people are business news reporters. Would I be upset that they didn't go overseas and cover war zone? No, I, I, you know, everybody, you know, people. As long as somebody's not pretending to be something that they're not, I'm I'm I, I'm a big believer in admitting what you don't know and not pretending to be the smartest guy in the room uh, and just you know saying what you know, admitting what you don't know, and trying to learn and get better and educate yourself about what you don't know. For me, in your career, the most frightening thing, and I've watched that tape recently where you're over in Egypt and you're getting hit. I mean, someone's actually trying to beat you up. Yeah, that was bad. Um, that was a mob. 
Yeah. I bet you thought you were going to die. I, I bet did, you thought I, you were going to die. I thought I wasn't sure we would get out of that one. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was me and my uh, producer, Marion Fox, and Neil Hallsworth, my camera person. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a, we were trying to get into Tahrir Square, Square the day everything kicked off. And uh, a mob of pro Mubarak supporters had been riled up and encouraged by their leadership to uh, go after foreign journalists. And we got about two blocks into this mob when some guy came out of the crowd and just uh, threw a punch, punch at us. And then the whole, if you've ever been in a mob, it, it, it's it's a very frightening thing because it's like, you know, if you see a school of fish, like change direction all of a sudden, like a mob can just suddenly turn on you and or on somebody. And when it does, it, it's very frightening and it's very scary. And um, yeah, they they were attacking us. Yeah, it's like once one guy breaches right your then space, it's like the 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 air has changed, and suddenly you're then reachable, and other people join in. It just takes one person sort of making the first move. So what do you do? You just run? No, you don't. Run. I, we formed a circle around my producer because uh, people were trying to rip off her clothes, and we walked back. Trying to get, Smart. we had to walk about like two blocks back. I, I was so stupid. If you ever been, I had never been like directly punched before. I'd, I'd been in dangerous situations, but adrenaline does crazy things to your mind. And so I was still, when the first punch was thrown, I still, and the, my adrenaline like shot up. I still thought, Oh, we can still make it to Tahrir Square. Like we can still keep going. <laughs> and, uh, we had a security guy with us who's not armed, but we did have a security guy with us, thankfully, who, at least had a cool head in all this because he'd been in these situations before and he was like no like circle up we're going back and that was the that is what saved us because he pulled you out you're so crazy you're gonna go try he was like circle up walk back don't run just walk go and so we just went and you know these and i had a neil was rolling and i had a handheld small tiny camera I think it was called like a flip camera at the time. Anyway, I had this little tiny camera and I thought, you know what? I'm going to video, I'm going to make sure this is rolling because if we get killed, at least I'll get a story out of it. Um, wow. I would somebody never, would get a story I, out of it. I would never, I'd hide behind Robin. I, I never, um, I would never have the wherewithal in well, that moment to put my camera on. I'd be worried about my safety. I mean, that's a newsman. A newsman goes, I'm going to document well, I, my own death. If you're going to get attacked, you might as well videotape it. I mean, like, I, I, I was once diving with great white sharks off Cape Town and with this guy named Mike Rutten who who goes without a cage. And so I, and they chum the water and you go in. And so I was doing this both for CNN and later for 60 Minutes. And, you know, they get, they chum the water. There were like six great whites circling the boat. And the guy's like, all right, time to get in. And, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to jump into the water, a shark filled water. And I turned to the, the camera guy and I was like, remember, whatever happens, just keep rolling on it. Cause the only thing worse than getting eaten by, getting killed by a shark is to get killed by a shark and not have it videotaped. <laughs> right. We need that videotape. That's it. Well, that's a newsman. That's what that's I'm talking crazy. about. There are newsmen who really want to get the story. And then there are those who just want to be on TV. That's my point. But getting back, I'm trying to understand the news business and I need you to explain it. In other words, you're at CNN. To me, that seems like a big deal. Being on 60 Minutes, I think, is still a really big deal, at least yeah, to me. It's one right? Of the, it's, there's no other magazine show like it. But can you negotiate with those guys from a business standpoint? Because everybody wants the 60 Minutes gig. You know what I mean? Everybody, every journalist is jealous of that. So when you want to get when you want to get paid, 
Can you go to these guys and have a reasonable negotiation or is it a pain in the ass because they know they've got you by the balls? What are you talking about? I'm talking about making money in the news business. Like I would, you're talking about negotiating with 60 Minutes. Like I yes. should be. Uh, uh, I'm happy to be on 60 Minutes, uh, and they offer a decent, a very good salary. So you're happy with your salary? Yeah, sure. Yes. Do you make as I, much I, I, money? Who else is on 60 Minutes? Give me the names of these people. <laughs> uh, Scott Pelley is a legend at 60 Minutes. He's been there. Does he make he more does, money than you? I have no Scott idea. Pelley? I don't know. You if, never I don't know how down? much anybody makes. You don't. No, I've but your agent anybody. does. Your agent knows. I don't know. I don't know if my agent represents these people or not. But wait a second. You've got an agent, right? Yeah. We've got very, very good agents. And the agent doesn't sit down and say, listen, Anderson, these schmucks, they're ma- you're working harder than all of them. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 no I'm imagine. I imagine how that's how they talk to you, you know. And I'm saying, and he goes, "Listen, I know what Pelly's making, and this and that." You from a, the, you're uh, yeah, they have yeah. a cigar, like you're a star listen, kid, you're a star. You need listen to me, Anderson. You're a Vanderbilt for Christ's sake. This guy Pelly, he's from a sewer. I don't know where he's from. But my point is, in other words, there is a business here. Yeah, you, you, you have. I mean, someone I, has fine. to know. I'm doing. I'm doing more than fine. I, 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 I. Yeah, I'm very. Look, if money was a motivating force in my life, I would not be, have gone into the news business. But I, I look. I've been very lucky, and I've been in it for a long time. And um, you yeah. don't care if Scott Pelley is making more money than. Well, yeah. Why would I care? I, because you're doing the him. same work. Why shouldn't you? Well, make, first of all, uh, Scott Pelley does far more pieces than I do. I, I'm a part time. Uh, employee at 60 minutes. I, I do 10 pieces a year. The average correspondent, I think, does 20. So I should be making less money than anybody. And so I, and I have no idea what anybody else is making. At CNN. Nor do I care? You, at CNN, you certainly know who's making what. No, I, I mean, don't. I, you don't. No. Why would I, how would I know? <laughs> you don't, I, I mean, in other words, you. Why would I care no, what somebody else is making? It doesn't affect me. Of course you care. No, I don't. of course. Why? Because you are the biggest name on there. You should be making the most amount of money. No. What Who's bigger ma- than you? What? what, what, what it's not a competition. I don't understand it. But you're, it's, the- it, because, because in other words, you have to come up with a price. What you're worth in this business? Listen, I get paid very well. I'm, I'm not. I'm great. You're agents. happy. Yeah, the, and that's they take. They argue that I'm not interested in getting involved in it. I, I don't. I, like, yeah, I'm happy to. I'm not complaining at all. But I don't care. You don't what go in there makes. and say. I did the first interview with Prince Harry on 60 Minutes, and I, uh, listen, I, I would bring never a lot. in a million years have that conversation. That is so... Well, your agent should. Your agent should. Listen, uh, look, I don't want Anderson, uh, he, he got <laughs> Prince Harry for you. By the way, is Prince Harry, you like this guy or not? What did you come away with when you interviewed um, him? Look, I don't know. I, I sat down with him for several hours, and that was really the full extent of our conversation. I thought, to me, his book was... I, I enjoyed... I liked his book. Uh, to me, it was a book about grief and about childhood trauma and the ripple effects of trauma and grief throughout someone's entire life. And to me, that's a fascinating topic. It's something I have a whole podcast about grief and loss, and, and it's something that has has dominated my entire life. And so that's a conver- that's what I went into the conversation focusing on. And I like talking to him. I think you know I, I don't have an opinion on the stuff with the royal family and you know i certainly wish him well i want i want people you want to, to see him see do it. well yeah i mean look he's he had a traumatic childhood and he seems to be trying to deal with it in a very in a fishbowl and 
I, I can only imagine some of that. And uh, yeah, I certainly wish him well. Maybe you even relate to him on some level because you I certainly are understand a- like early, you know, the experiencing of the death of a parent early on and, uh, you know, somewhat of playing out in the public eye. His is at a level I can't even fathom. Why is this Meghan Markle so disliked? I don't understand what's going on there. Why do why do people hate her so much? What's your theory on that? I, do people hate her so much? I, I don't know. I mean, I read in the paper. They seem to be very uh, angry her. with I, her. I don't know her. Um, they, they, she's being painted as the person orchestrating all of this. In other words, he's just sort of this puppet that uh, follows along. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't, you don't I, mean, I don't know. know. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, you know You're supposed to know. People write all about all this he stuff. He doesn't I, know about finances. He doesn't know about Harry Anderson, and Meghan. what do you know about? <laughs> what about it? Anderson, what about it? All out. Anderson, what about it? CNN? Uh-huh. Because you're a big macher, you're the top guy. <laughs> big macher. Do they, do they do ever, I seem does, like a big, do I act like a big macher? Well, you are, whether you like it or not. I mean, you have a Virunga t-shirt on it. How many people have that? <laughs> Anderson, does CNN ever come to you and say, listen, Anderson, you're, you're one of our key guys. I want you to help us with our decisions, our editorial decisions, this and that, the other thing. Do they come to you and seek your counsel or are you not in on any of that stuff? I will, for, I, I mean, I don't know. There are, no. I mean, I, I, my responsibility is the show that I have. That's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If I'm involved in a debate, I'm involved in the preparation for that debate and the decision making process on that. But there are decisions that are made, you know, elsewhere and by management that I don't have any. Nobody's asking my opinion of. Are you now voting in the presidential elections? Did you vote in the last one? I was upset I with yes. you in 2016 when you didn't vote. Right. I felt that wasn't right. You, you right. Had we had a conversation thing. about that. I, there, for a long time, I didn't believe that journalists should vote. And, and look, it, and it's a debate. Some journalists don't vote because they don't want it to in any way influence how they do interviews and stuff. I, that, I held that opinion for a long time, and we had a conversation about it. And I changed your opinion, obviously. I, you I'm, know, I, I tried it out and to see if I felt any differently, and I didn't. So, yeah, I have voted. So you have voted. Yeah. And will you vote in uh, the yeah, next would, election? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Now, here's the big decision. Will you, next New Year's Eve, be drinking with Andy Cohn? <laughs> that was a big mm. controversy. Now, yeah. uh, I've talked to Andy about it. Uh-huh. You, uh, In addition to 60 Minutes... In addition to having your own show on CNN, in addition to being an author now, which, by the way, your father was an author. Yes. And this is a way of you relating to him, which we will talk about. <laughs> but the big decision was made by Chris Licht, who is no longer at CNN, that you and Andy could not take a drink. Mm-hmm. Andy swears watching uh, Anderson Cooper take uh, shots is the reason people might tune in because it's funny <laughs> to see straight lace anderson cooper take shots i also don't people, drink so yes it's it's yeah, uh, but they want you to take shots uh-huh. uh andy thinks he's he thinks he's a programming genius and this is the, the secret <laughs> to success this was a mistake <laughs> what will happen this new year's eve will you I be don't on know. i don't will know. you be on with with uh andy andy and i will be doing new year's eve together yes and you don't know if you'll be drinking. I have not had any of those discussions. Yeah, nobody said anything to me. Did you think this was a mistake that you could not drink on TV? Look, I think uh, I think the whole thing was poorly handled. Like, if somebody had just come to me and said, look, I don't think it's a good idea to do this, that would have been fine with me. I've been like, fine, okay, not a big deal. Um, right. But it became sort of a public thing. It was said publicly. 
uh, you know, and then it w- went back and forth. I just thought, like, it became a thing that it didn't need to become. And I thought that was unfortunate. Um, but look, I thought we had a, a show which was, you know, which was just as good. Uh, and, you know, we came up with ways to get around it. And it became a thing on the show. You know, we had Kevin Hart on the show and he went off, uh, on CNN for making this decision. Uh, which, but it was a great segment. I mean, it was a, a hilarious segment with Kevin Hart. He's a genius. Um, so I uh, look, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Isn't it amazing that the New Year's Eve gig, so to speak, I mean, you know, in a way, I would think the first time you did it, you might have been nervous. You have built up a lot of credibility as a newsman, as a hard journalist. And then suddenly, you know, seriously, to go on with Andy, who's, you know, Andy's uh, an entertainer and goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, I would have thought the first year you would have been like, oh, fuck, what am I doing? I'm on 60 Minutes. I can't be fucking around with Andy Cohen. I don't here think the, I don't think that way. You know what? I, I, I believe um, I believe you should just be yourself. I believe that. The, the, a journalist has to be honest in all things. And so part of that is being honest in who you are. And look, uh, Walter Cronkite loved to go sailing. Maybe if Walter Cronkite was on television today, he would ha- also have a sailing show on the Discovery Channel. Who knows? Like, I think he, people, audiences are so smart today and are so aware and know everything about people. It's not like in the days where you didn't know anything about Walter Cronkite's life, who he was right. married to, anything about him. Um, and so I think people know you can be interested in, in, you know, world events and care about world events and go to war zones. And you can also like to go to the movies and see whatever movies you like to watch or whatever you like to stream or whatever your other interests are. And so you can... I'm confident enough in myself that I can make fun of myself and point out my, you know, I have a ridiculous laugh that sounds like a chicken being strangled. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, that's it. I, I'm not going to pretend to be otherwise. No, and I also love that you are openly gay because I think we would be shocked, not just by news people, but by a lot of famous people who really live very different lives than we might imagine. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was particularly moved when you were on, I don't know which time you were on, but you were talking about Tim Cook calling you mm. and saying, hey, I'm about to come out uh, as gay. I run Apple. It's a big business, you know, and he asked your advice. And I think that that was very uh, moving to me, you know, that yeah. you were available and, and really a role model for this guy because you I had pulled it off successfully. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, because yeah, no, he look, did it. Yeah. It was very sweet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he called me I, and I never spoke about this, but he talked about it publicly, uh, and years later. And so, uh, I feel okay mentioning it, but yeah, he, he called me up and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be making a statement and I, I've looked around and at how other people did it. And I liked the way you did it and would like to meet, I'd like to meet and talk about it a little bit. So I met with him a couple of times and, and, uh, you know, we, yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. No, uh, nothing there romantically, you and uh, Tim, as you were talking about coming out. (laughs) I think that would be a great power couple. What a catch. I mean, the two of you, you know, at least get free Apple stuff. Did he give you any, uh, did he give you the Apple watch for free or anything? Uh, I don't don't accept gifts. (laughs) You don't? Uh, That's good. Oh, well, you should be in the I'm tempted by the gift bag you have here. Because it's a really nice gift bag. But I don't think I'm allowed to take it. Yes, you are. You can take the gift bag. Send it to his Take it. Take but it, take he's it. better I'm than s- our government officials who seem to uh, love gifts. So. <laughs> no, there's like, the there's like a Sonos in there, which I've always wanted. And I, haven't, <laughs> I don't know how to use it, but uh, I think I'll just buy one. <laughs> Do you admire a guy like Warren Buffett 
that, you know, in light of the book about the Astros, which I'm working toward, I, but I, I, just let's hear me out. Warren Buffett says he's leaving nothing to his kids. Hmm. And I have a feeling you will leave nothing to your well, kids. Well, Warren Buffett has said he's, I think, he, and I, I don't want to misquote him, but he said, and I know, I know his son, um, Howie, who's a really interesting person, uh, who's an, an adult. I mean, the farmer, not, isn't not, he? Is he like a he's everything. I mean, he's yeah. like, he's like a sheriff. He goes to R- Rwanda. He does all these really interesting projects. I think Howard Buffett has said something along the lines of he's been wanted to give enough money to his kids. They can, you know, do something, but not so much that they'll do nothing. As there's words right. that, to that effect, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, you and I have talked about this. We talked about this a, l- a long time ago. I mean, I knew as a kid growing up that there was no inheritance for me uh, from like the Vanderbilt family. I would read articles. I still read articles to this day that, that call me like the Vanderbilt heir or scion, which is as if yeah, like I go home and there's like mama and papa and grandpapa and I'm consulting with them. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but no, I was glad early on to know, you know, I was very lucky. I had a ton of privileges and my college was paid for. Um, but you know, my folks told me early on that, that after, you know, college would be paid for and, and there's no Vanderbilt money after that. Um, and I think, I think it sucks your initiative. I think you your life would have been very different if your name had been Anderson Vanderbilt. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I would not yeah. have the career I have. Yeah. There's no That's doubt right. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because people in a way would have held it against you. So. It's got so much baggage and like, yeah, there's, I was very happy to be a Cooper and to not, you know, I never talked about, I, I tried never to talk about who my mom was for the first, you know, 10 years of my career. Right. That was smart because uh, it sort of puts something in people's minds about you. Which I, I understand that people have that and, and, you know, that's certainly, I, look, I would probably have that, that same feeling. So I get it. Um, the name Cooper makes me think of your father. Your father was a, an author. Was he was he successful? He wrote families. He or wasn't like wrote? financially successful. No, he uh, right. he worked as an act like a bit actor in the fifties, and uh, he did screenplays. He wrote a movie called The Chapman Report. He worked with Truman Capote on on some stuff, um, but he was never like big. He, he wrote a book called Families, which was about his family in Mississippi growing up poor, and and also the, it was about my brother and I and the family he created with my mom, and so. He died when I was 10, uh, and the book, you know, was not a huge bestseller, but for me, it's, it was like a letter from my father. And so it's something I have read multiple times in a year, every year of my life because it's, I hear his voice in that book and it's, you know, it's been a guidepost for my life. How wonderful is that? Yeah. To have a book of your father writing about your family. Yeah. And since you lost him at 10 years old, like that, the incredible. Yeah, you you probably don't really remember even him. So that's what's so interesting. So I I, you know, I had not heard my father's voice since I was ten years old because there you know there were I, there were no recordings of it. And and uh, years ago, uh, a guy named Charles Ruas, who was a radio interviewer, reached out to me and said to me with an email and said, "I interviewed your father in like 1976 when his book came out, and the interview has just been restored and put online. It was for public radio, and he sent me the link." Wow. And I sat in my office and I clicked on the link and my dad's voice. Wow. My dad's voice. I heard my dad's voice for the first time since I was 10 years old. And, um, yeah, it was what incredible. a gift. Yeah, it was a gift. And you know, what's weird too. You'll never know really what your father was like, but you've got this book and this recording. Yeah. And that's what's so heartbreaking. Cause you want your father 
And that's how you know him. Well, that, what was so incredible is not only was it my dad being interviewed, but he was talking about me and he was talking about my brother and what he hoped for us. And so it was... What did he uh, say? I'm curious. What was his thought? You know, he talked about, um, you know, that he hoped we grew up to be moral men and, and moral men in a world that wasn't afraid to use that term. And... Um, you know, my father was was a really good father, and he's the role model for me in, in how to be a father. Um, but he was he you know he understood kids, and he talked to us like human beings. And you know, not we there was never a children's table. We were always at the main table. We were expected to make conversation with you know Tr- Truman Capote and Charlie Chaplin, whoever was in the house. Um, and we were treated wow. as as equals, and that was an extraordinary experience. What did he die from? He died of heart disease. His dad had died at 50. He died at 50. I was convinced I would be dead at 50, too, so, which is why I didn't have kids until I was 51, which makes no sense. Right. But No, it does. I mean, for some reason, we always get in our head we're going to die at a certain age. Oh, totally. Well, it's very common for, if you lose a parent early on that people think. I talked to I have this grief podcast called All There Is, and Stephen Colbert was on last season, and he talked about the same thing of having this. Like, his father uh, and his two brothers, Peter and Paul, were killed in a plane crash in the Eastern Airlines when he was when when Stephen was ten, and he always talked about not only having that feeling of dying at the age his father would, but also of. He also, when his children reached the age of 10, each child reached the age of 10, he thought he would die because he couldn't imagine a father existing past the age of 10. Yeah, it's crazy. I've I've talked to him about that extensively, and it's a real heartbreaker, as it is for you. Anyone who loses their father. when And and that's the weird thing. Like, my mother talks about she lost her parents, uh, her her mother at nine. She goes, I don't have any, I don't remember her. I kind of remember what she looked like, but that's it. So to get, get this guy to contact you, yeah, it's incredible. Say, I got you. Oh, what an incredible moment! Yeah. And also, you realize, you know, Molly, I, Molly Shannon was on the podcast too, and she, her mother died at, when she was four years old in, in a car crash that she was in. Um, you know, and she said to me that four, it was enough. It was only four years she had with her mother, but it was just enough. And it made me think. You know, I had ten years with my dad, and that that was enough. I mean, I certainly wish I had more, but it was enough to to get me through. Do you ever relate the fact that your father was an author and now you've written? How many yeah, books for have you me, written writing now, a like... book because of my dad and also then my mom wrote uh, a number of books. To me, it was the highest accomplishment you could possibly achieve. So when I actually wrote a book um, in 2006, I think it was the first book I wrote, I, it was incredible. I'd been writing it in my head for like 10 years, but to actually see it, I, yeah, it made me feel very close to my dad. I listened to the um, the audio version of your book, which, by the way, is called Aster, and it's available wherever books are sold. But I was listening to it, and I went, oh, God, the worst thing in the world when I wrote books, they asked me to read my own books. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Really? I was, and, and no, I couldn't do it. In fact, I never put out audio versions of oh, these really? books because, yeah, I could, I just, I just, see, I found it helpful boring. because, uh, it's, it's, it's a three day process, but I found it interesting because hearing it out loud, I, I actually rewrote stuff during it and and it helped me um to kind of hear it in that way you did that in three days yeah three i yeah i do it quickly yeah wow you did a great How job i mean were those sessions I, though it was like eight hours a day uh, wow for, i couldn't That's do it a lot yeah and then there I was mean, like a pickup day day later i did a book with my mom and um it was based on a year-long conversation we had uh, when she turned 91, and she recorded her side, and I recorded my side. So it's great. I have this 
recording of my mom and me like talking as the book it's 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 nice to have now that she's not here i'm curious you still got the same living arrangement where um you and your ex yeah still live together in that firehouse yes he's my partner in parenthood parent but that is so you know listen that's very unconventional I guess so. stay, yeah. when you break up with someone to live and, and I mean, yeah, is we're that best working? Friends, we're family and we love these kids and we're adults. So, and if you, and if you bring home a date to your firehouse, <laughs> well, I haven't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not dating. So, uh, yeah, I you're not figured, at all. I have, no, I haven't. No, no. What is going on? Anderson, you're the hottest guy. I, I mean, got two uh, kids you're a catch. And I got two kids who I, I so can't what? imagine you're... not spending every minute, minute with, and I'm working all the time. So I, you know, you have needs. <laughs> Anderson, you have needs. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy right now. And, uh, I don't How know, I don't know whether the we'll figure it out, the situation. Um, but he'll go to a war zone. And leave his kids. <laughs> you must really hate but he dating. Won't date. By the way, that was the only time I I, I left my child like that, uh, okay. uh, and it was it was a special because of the situation in Ukraine. But um, uh, the word yeah. is that Gen Z. You know what Gen Z is? I mean, vaguely. Those are twenty year olds okay. are calling you a twunk. Do you know what a twunk I don't is? Know what a twunk is? You have the face of a twink, but the body of a hunk. I'm looking uh, <laughs> at your muscular uh, biceps that you're showing off today in this no, very I, tight I've t-shirt. Shriveled. I've dropped like 20 pounds with the kids. Like I'm you're just, not I'm, hitting I the gym? No, I've just started again. I got a great trainer named Leo who's really good, so I'm hoping to like get back to it. But um, Anderson, this is shocking that you are not dating. How long have you gone without a date? I don't know. I mean... Really? Is this for real, or are yeah. you just being shy? Well, no, look, I, I it's just not... In my, like, perfect, like, I'm just, I don't know, I'm really happy with, the, like, being a dad, and I'm working a lot, and but what about I just wrote romance? a book, and I'm doing a podcast, like, I don't so have what? time. Love. I'll figure Love that out. Love is the like, greatest. I know, but I, I don't know, honestly, I, I've been going, uh, okay, to be honest, I, I, uh, I've been doing this podcast on grief, and, and it's unlocked something in me that's, uh, yeah, that's made me really reflective and not feel yeah i've i've been focusing on trying to resolve stuff about grief and i just feel like getting involved with somebody else right now is not a great idea is the grief that you're still working on the loss of your mother the loss of your father at 10 and the and and the loss of your brother from suicide i mean that's pretty heavy background yeah it's more i mean my mom died at 95 so i you know that i you know that I, I had time with that. I, I what I've I came to realize that I actually have never really grieved uh, my dad or my brother. That I just buried everything and just moved forward. And you know, I was concerned about my mom in both those situations. I felt I needed to, you know, help her. And yeah, it's only recently in the last several months that I've suddenly realized, like, oh my god, I like there is. Um, like an ocean, there's, uh, there's a lot I have just like pushed deep down. And how do you, so, and, I, and I'm finally being, I think I need to deal with it. How are you dealing with it? Are you going into therapy? Or do you meet I mean, with I've a therapist? To, I've, I've talked to the same therapist since I was 21. So, um, and, uh, and, so, and, but, but yeah, I certainly am. I, I, I hadn't talked to him for a while and I'm, I'm talking to him again. And yeah, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm doing another season of this podcast really because I, I want to talk to people about grief, and it, these are conversations I would not ordinarily allow myself to have. Um, do you think? Do you think that um, 
you got in touch with it because you're so successful now that in, in a way when you were hustling when you were young and you're trying to make your career and you're going overseas and you're traveling in a way it it pushes all the grief away yeah. now that you have the kids and you're home more and you got more of an established job suddenly the what, grief what starts is, creeping in well it's some of that also i've been going through all my mom's stuff and in going through you know after she died like boxes of stuff and in going through her stuff i'm also going through boxes of my father's stuff and my brother's stuff none of which were ever gone through they were just packed away after they died my mom couldn't deal with it so i'm dealing with all this stuff and have been going through these boxes now for more than a year and it brings up a lot um it and does. i and i I did a first season of this podcast and the last episode I, I made a voicemail and I asked listeners to call in with something that they had learned in their grief that might help others. And I only had time when I was writing the last episode to listen to about 200 of the calls. But I had I had 46 hours of calls and wow. I didn't plan on doing another season, but I felt obligated. I wanted to listen to all of the voicemails because I had solicited them. and I thought this is the only I should listen to them all because people have called in with very intensely personal messages. So I've spent the last couple of months listening to listening to 46 hours. And um, it has clearly impacted me very strongly. Hearing other people's grief. Yeah. And you're thinking about it now. And it's it made me sad. realize it, it made me react in a very like this, and uh, it made. And then I started wondering, why am I reacting like this? Why is my voice quivering right now? And I started to realize uh, how little I had actually allowed myself to feel this this stuff. And it it doesn't go away. It you know you can push this stuff down. Uh, you know, Marge Simpson once told Lisa Simpson, like, you know, just put a smile on your face and push everything deep down. And uh, I remember watching that and laughing about it at the time, but that's what I've done. And so, yeah, so it's all like, it's bubbling up even like right now. And I, yeah. And isn't it unhealthy, Anderson, when you push, you don't realize you're doing it. You're pushing away all this grief and you're not allowing yourself to feel it. Oh my God. You're, and you're not allowing yourself to feel anything. I, 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 I don't allow myself to feel joy and I don't allow myself to feel pain. And so I live in this middle round and that's not, you know, and with kids, I don't want to, I want to experience the full range. I want to allow myself to experience the full range of feelings. And so, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. What's the secret to that? If you spent your whole life pushing away this grief, how did you, I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm no longer going to push away my grief, but there's got to be some mechanism where you can stop doing that. You well, know what I mean? Look, how I, do you do I, it? I mean, I'm a big believer in the power of talk, talking to other people and sharing with other people, certainly, and people, uh, you know, whether it's a professional or friends or whatever that is. Um, but I, I think it's, it's about understanding why you did that and how you did it and understanding the little child that you were and, and the, the mechanisms. You know, look, all of the mechanisms I developed as a 10 year old trying to figure out, deal with my dad's death. And all the mechanisms that I continued to use to deal with my brother's suicide. My brother killed himself in front of my mother. Um, all of those mechanisms served me. In some ways, they served me well. They, they got me through. I didn't succumb to, you know, 
overwhelming sadness and I was able to function and I was able to excel. Uh, and going to wars was part of me wanting, I couldn't feel, I couldn't allow myself to feel stuff. So I, I wanted to go places where things were so overwhelming that I would be forced to feel. And that's like people who cut themselves. Like literally, you'd go to a war zone. I was going to war zones, and I wanted to bear witness to others suffering and learn how to survive. And that's what I learned. And that's one of the reasons I went. And it wasn't so much I was wanted to be a reporter. I didn't know I could become a reporter. I wanted to to bear witness to the suffering of others, and I wanted to understand how people survive. I I wanted to understand why two people, my brother and I, living in the same house, growing up with the same circumstances, one of us made it out alive, and the other didn't. And um, but all those mechanisms that I used, they're great to, I mean, they're not great, but they, they enabled me to move forward and, and get where I am, but they are inhibiting the full enjoyment of, of a life. And I think it's time to, to figure that out and to, you know, I don't want my kids to see the sadness that I saw behind my mom's eyes, uh, who had, you know, unresolved grief from from her childhood and from the experiences she had experienced it, it, what do you do with that thing when you're trying to get in touch with your own grief what do you do with that thing that goes ah, maybe i didn't have it so bad there's a guy oh, in ukraine right yeah. now losing his house and Listen, then, who am i to say oh uh, yeah. i'm upset about my father's death i mean right. it, i and i uh, get that i told and look there's people hearing this who would be like yeah you know yeah how do you fight that though how do you fight that inner voice I understand. Look, there are people who have suffered far worse things. And to me, you know, my mom used to say, like, you know, she, my mom would never ask why me. She'd be like, why not me? Why should me be exempt from the suffering of of the world? And people have, you know, I read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning every year. It's the one of my favorite books, this most important book to me. And Man's Search for Meaning? Yeah. If you haven't read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, you, you have to read this book. It's it's He was a psychologist who was in Auschwitz and... It's about what he learned about survival in Auschwitz. And it's, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary book. And it's very, very helpful. And it, uh, you know, to me, the thing about grief and that I've uh, explored a lot in the podcast is that we all feel like we're alone in it. We all feel like, we're, you know, me going through my mom's stuff, it felt so lonely to me. And I, you know, and yet it is the most universal of human experiences. We've all experienced loss. Everybody listening has experienced loss and grief and has been through this. And I think there's great power in that. And to know that, look, I'm on a road that everybody else has been on or generations of and generations of people from time immemorial have been on and that we are not alone in this feeling it feels like you're alone in it but but we're not and i'm certainly not saying like boo-hoo i've had it so hard i haven't i've been extraordinarily lucky and privileged um but i also realize i could uh in listening to the strength of all these people who called in and left these messages uh, about what they've lived through and experienced, I realize, you know, I, I, I need to have the strength that they have to, to have res figured it out and, and be able to still love and live and do all the, the things that a, a full human being does. Yeah, that's, that's really highly evolved. You know, you made me just think of something. I have my, my father's whole life. My father died last summer and he. Oh, I'm sorry. What yeah, was well, name? thanks. Uh, ben. And, uh, but I mean, he was an old man. He was 99 years old. I knew my father, but I really didn't have 
the kind of relationship with my father I would have wanted. Mm. And I have this box, which is everything he owned. I have this box. And every time I open it to like clean it out or to, you know, give people this that, or the other thing, I fucking can't bear it. Mm. I just, and I didn't realize until you just started talking about clearing out your mother's things mm. and your brother's things and whatever it is. It's heart wrenching. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. So it's a tough thing to go through. Yeah. So. yeah I mean, I open up a box and, you know, I think, okay, today I'm going to, I'm going to get, make progress through a couple boxes and I'll open up a box and it's, you know, Christmas cards my mom saved from 1973. And I'm like, oh, well, these will be easy to go through. And I start going through them and some of them are just like random people, you know, and I'm like, okay, that I can throw out. And then some of them are, are, you know, Charlie Chaplin's Christmas card with a note from Una Chaplin. And I go down this rabbit hole and it brings me back to memories of, being with my mom and all, you know, and I, and at four hours go by and then I end up putting the lid back on the box and like, I'll deal with this box later. You know, what's your goal with that box? Is it to throw things out and clear it out? Or, I mean, it seems to me you can't. It's there's too many memories there. I mean, it's memories and also some of it is, I mean, some of it is just remarkable history. My mom has, you know, these love telegrams from Frank Sinatra when they were dating for a couple of weeks, you know, and there are everything you can imagine telegrams from Frank Sinatra being like, honey, <laughs> your, your feller on the white horse is coming to town, ring a ding ding. You know, it's just like, <laughs> literally, that is a quote from one of his telegrams from 19, I don't know, 50. Um, so some of it is, you know, is figuring how to save it and some of it is what to throw out. Um, but look, my, my dad died when I was 10. I'm very conscious of wanting to be in my children's life for as long as I can. And I want, just as my dad's book was a letter from him, I want to create a record for my kids for if I'm not around or for when I'm not around. Um, you see and, how important and for it is. their kids. And I, I know how important it is. So all these books that I write or, you know, all these things that I'm hoping to save, I want it organized. I want it easy for them so that whenever I don't want them to be carting around all these boxes and my boxes, I want it to be organized and be a, a resource for them to look at when they want to dip into it and yeah. otherwise, you know, live their own lives. That's a fabulous thing to put together for you kids. And you know, your mother, did your mother ever deal with her grief? Like, I mean, she was taken away from her mother as a child. Yeah. I, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was like, the subject of a, a, a vicious custody battle between her mother and a, an aunt who she didn't know. And she didn't really know her mother and she was taken away from her mother. Um, she, you know, my mom had a sadness behind her eyes. There's a Welsh word she always used, which is hyraeth, which is, there's no actual definition of it, but it's sort of a longing for something that may not have even existed and right. my mom always had this sort of hyraeth for this lost past and this you know she never had her father her father died when she was 15 months she really didn't have a mother she didn't know she didn't know what a family was and so um you know that was always with her and i always knew that from the time i was a kid and it made me want to protect her and that was my role in in our relationship for a long time jeez i relate to that so much yeah, i remember mother. you saying about you, yeah. that i remember you you described i think i don't remember if it was in your last book or in an interview we did but you were talking about sort of you thinking of your mother as like a a, a teacup like a china teacup isn't that what you didn't you say my mother was? was so yeah my mother was so um sad and 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 just so heartbreaking that a, I never thought about my own situation in life. I never thought I was entitled to feel anything because she had such a bad life. And I saw my primary mission 
to cheer this woman up. Mm. Every day yeah. I would joke or tell her stories or do impressions of the women in the neighborhood. Mm. And she loved it. And that made her happy, <laughs> you know? And it's like, but what a fucking burden. It's, so, it's a burden. It's so funny you said that. I, I would do impressions of people not so much in the neighborhood but like society figures that my mom knew so like there was a guy named jerry zipkin who was like nancy reagan's walker and i, <laughs> I was probably the only 13 year old who or 12 year old who was doing jerry zipkin imitations and deanna vreeland imitations who was a legendary yeah. editor uh for, uh from you know magazines yeah, my mother didn't know even these women that I would do impressions of of the neighborhood, but she loved it. She uh, loved it. And then I'd go over to my aunt's house and do it for her because they God, were both the so sad. That. I mean, I totally understand that, you know, what that's like and that wanting, you're a little kid and you just want your mom to be happy and seeing her smile or laugh at your impressions. I totally understand that. You know, this book you wrote about the Astors, at first I was like, oh, I'm going to read this, but why the fuck is Anderson writing about the Astors? And then I realized why you're so attracted to this. It's that these Astors who had so much money, so much money, and so much power, they were just as fucked up as everyone else. Yeah. It didn't really, if it didn't, it didn't do, I mean, right. when you're, when you're, ta I mean, again, I listened to the book. When you're describing in graphic detail how the original dude made the money yeah. killing Beaver, these poor, I, I mean, it was sickening. Well, you I, know, so yeah, John Jacob Astor came from Germany, a young immigrant, but he monopolized the beaver trade in America. Beaver was a very valuable fur. The markups was like 600%. It was sold in Europe to make hats and, and clothes and stuff. Um, but not only, I mean, it was a bloody business, obviously, of slaughtering millions of beavers, uh, but he used alcohol as a tactic with indigenous populations to get the better of them and make them indebted to yeah. his, to his traders he screwed over the own, his own traders they would have to buy you know the trinkets to trade with at exorbitant prices so they had the motivation to screw over indigenous people who they were trading with it was a ruthless ruthless business model and all that money he was the first multimillionaire in america he multimillionaire in america he then plowed that money into new york real estate unbelievable much of the land of which new york was built on and the reason there's tenements so many tenements and slums in new york was because his lease model was he would lease out a plot of land for 20 years a sublandlord then the motivation was sublandlord only would own it for 20 years and would have to give it back to astor so he would build as big a building as possible pack it with his many immigrants as possible and never upkeep the building because why fix the building you got to give it back to john jacob Astor in 20 years and that's why these slums and tenements developed what was the exact amount like like in his lifetime not when the son came in and, and made some deals but what, how much money did he amass the yeah. original guy back in what what was the year he uh, died he died like in the mid 18 1800s the exact amount is very hard he was very secretive about it i mean there's estimates you know so it's very hard to tell Commodore Vanderbilt, my great, great, great grandfather, when he died in 1877, he had a hundred million dollars, which was wow. one out of every $20 in circulation. It was more oh money than God. was in the U.S. Treasury, which is insane. Isn't, isn't it amazing how these families like, OK, so John Jacob Astor's the dude who makes the money in the, the beaver trade. Not right. only does he then then he's really smart. And he buys like Manhattan. I love that story where. Uh, well, they buy Greenwich Village for like um, like a couple of bucks. Yeah, I mean, I mean Greenwich Village, the area where Empire State Building, that land. The it whole, was farmland. Yeah. It was farmland, yeah. right? Yep, Eden Farms, yeah.
It's so crazy how some people but, have that but ability. But that's what's interesting to me is 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 the pathological nature of the people who make the first fortune. So like Commodore Vanderbilt talked about a mania for money. I think you could argue the same thing with John Jacob Astor. You know, unhappy, all of it, whatever the psychological makeup is, there is a they are able to funnel it into this obsessive, you know, working harder, not necessarily working harder than anybody else, but they're able to have this obsessive focus on making the fortunes and they make the fortunes. And then both in Astor's case and the Vanderbilt case, their sons who were, who were pretty much like not thought much of by their dads, double the fortune in the, in, in, in a short time. But then it's the subsequent generations that just spend the money and it starts to unravel. Yeah, that's what I found fascinating. You go from this dude, John Jacob Astor, who's completely obsessed with making money. Right. And you wonder, like, well, like, what point do you, you know. Who, by the way, point? at the end of his life is being fed by a wet nurse, which I just found so creepy. <laughs> yeah, there what? was a lot of really. Yeah. You mean. Big, yeah. You know, I don't know what the t- manner of the feeding was, if it was direct contact or like into a cup. But, uh, yeah, I found that oh. one of these strange details. I was thinking you could definitely turn this into some kind of series like it's crazy, it's crazy. It, yes. and people would probably not even believe how these people <laughs> lived or yeah. they would say well this is an exaggeration but yeah, it's yeah. not it's like kind of crazy and then you got this guy's son who never realized his full right what he wanted in life because he had to take over the family yeah. business and he was pretty good at it and then the shit hits the fan <laughs> all this money is left to all these subsequent asters yeah and all they yeah, care about Caroline is society. Yeah, there's Caroline then the third, and the wife of the third generation, and she dom- she defines what society is going to be in America. She she Isn't and her walker, funny? this guy Ward McAllister, she creates sort of what the idea of like high society is. How crazy is high like, society? Crazy. Like, is that st- does it still? I don't exist think it today. Exists, no, not in the way that not in the way that it did. I mean, even in you know, I think that the tale when I was a. Uh, uh, you know, I I I'd met Brooke Astor, who was sort of the last of that, and she was very right. involved in society in New York. But that was sort of, you know, she died at 105. But you know, I think that the, the tail, you know, the tail end of it was probably in the early 90s, maybe. I mean, I, I I'm sure there's still society balls and there's still you know waspy people running around, but um, it certainly doesn't exist in you know tech. It's, you know, p- technology and people who are, you know, doing tech businesses and other forms of of wealth and wealth display have taken over. And it's so funny to me and so petty. Here's somebody who's got all this money and then they throw a party for like three hundred fifty thousand dollars back in the day. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something around there. Yeah. And they throw these big parties and then someone else goes, well, I'm going to throw a bigger party right. and I'll buy my way into society. Yeah. And they, and God knows what they're buying their way into. Just like it's having influence. It's, yeah. it's, it's nuts. It's a nutty world you it, tapped into. It was, it's totally nutty. And I mean, the Vanderbilts spent just gobs of money building these enormous palaces on Fifth Avenue and these enormous houses that needed 60 people to, you know, a staff of 60 and then tax laws change and inheritance laws change. And within, you know, 50 or 60 years, these palaces were torn down and sold off for scrap, essentially sold off for pieces. They're so irresponsible because, you know, if you get a hundred million dollars back in whenever, whenever the hell they got it, when when it was probably worth a billion dollars. To go through that amount of money and not make any money on it, but to, to, to lose money, yeah. it's insane. The Astros, at least, you know, because they had all this land in New York, they were having, had fresh money coming in. I mean, the amount of money they were making every month in rents, uh, was just extraordinary. And so they were able to fund this far longer than, than the Vanderbilts did.
but ultimately blew their fortune. Yes, ultimately. Well, yeah, Vincent Astor, whose dad was Jack Astor, who died on the Titanic, when he inherited the fortune, when Jack Astor died on the Titanic, he actually had a kind of a little bit of a moral compass. And he looked around and he learned about the business that his family had been in and saw, learned like that they were basically slumlords. And he decided he did what no other Astor had done. He started selling off the properties. Wow. So you admire him. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he, 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 he was pretty, you know, he drank a ton, smoked a ton. He was not, uh, seemingly <laughs> not a great, a great guy to be around. He, he, he had the weirdest courtship of any courtship. He was, he had married three times in his life. Uh, his first wife may or not, may not have been a lesbian. His second wife, Minnie, uh, was, they were unhappy. He agreed to divorce Minnie, but only if Minnie could find him his third wife. And they, <laughs> they nut. try to marry, they try on this one woman, uh, who had just gotten divorced from one of the bushes. Uh, and that woman had money of her own. And Vincent Astor quickly proposed to her. And the woman said to him, uh, marry you, Vincent. I don't even like you. And then he <laughs> said, and he said to her, well, my doctors told me I only have about three years to live. And she said, well, Vincent, what if they're wrong? And so she turned him down and then he's met Brooke Astor at a party and he had met her before. But that night he like gloms on to her. He and, and he, Vincent and Minnie drive Brooke Astor to her house, say, oh, well, you got to come to our, our, our mansion, you know, our country house this uh, coming weekend. Brooke Astor's like, I don't really know these people, but OK, she goes and Brooke Astor, her husband had just died and she needed money. Vincent welcomes her to the house. She puts her bags down in the room. Vincent says, let's go for a drive, Brooke. He takes Brooke for a drive. He pulls over and proposes to her. It's like the first weekend they've ever spent together. And she's like, marry you. Like, uh, and he's like, Minnie knows all about it. I promised her, you know, a divorce if, if you'll marry. And anyway, it's the weirdest courtship imaginable. It's the weirdest thing. It would make a really good miniseries, it would, the Astors. Yeah, yeah. It really would. Because, you know what? It's kooky. The whole thing is, yeah, I mean, these families are fascinating. There's so many fascinating characters and twists and turns. Um, and Brooke Astor, who was this society figure, gave away $200 million of the Astor fortune to New York City, to various charities. Uh, and then yeah. at the end of her life, she got Alzheimer's and her only son from her first marriage, uh, was, Ultimately, Tony. yeah, Tony Marshall. Was siphoning off the yeah, I remember right? getting yeah. her to sign codicils to her will and then finally, uh, got, ar got arrested and sent to prison. Yeah, I remember reading about that when that was going down. It was really sad. Yeah. Brooke Astor's son is like, uh, oh man, it was fucking it crazy. It was high society elder abuse, right? It was yeah, just, yeah, yeah, that's, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Did you sell the book rights? Do you, do you, is there anybody talking um, about turning it into a, something? No, no, not yet. Well, listen, I, I, I know I, you don't I, care about money, but maybe you should look into that with your, that agent of yours. <laughs> I'm Vanderbilt, care about which money is the book either. I did before. Uh, I've, uh, uh, deal with, uh, yeah, with Amazon that uh, we're working on a, a TV show. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. A, a series? Uh, yeah, I think right now, I think the idea is maybe a limited series. I mean, who knows if it'll actually get made, but it would be great. Well, listen to me. You've written the book. It's called Aster. I think you guys would like it because it's filled with rich, nutty people. <laughs> So I much to books. talk. I loved, you know, reading about the Gettys and now I'll read your book because I just, I just love the craziness. The craziness. Because you're a Yenta. Idle families. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the amount of uh, what people do with that, that level of money. And it's interesting, you know, you think about, we look at, 
you know, the, the, the uber wealthy today. And, you know, we think like, wow, there's never been anybody like, you know, like this before, like Elon Musk before. But John Jacob Astor was sort of the Elon Musk of the day, you know. Do the, uh, do the Astors own any part of New York still? Or is it like done? Um, uh, there's a, there was a British break off of, of the Astor family. And so there's a whole British, uh, group of Astors. But in, in America, no, I mean, there are Astors living today. Uh, there's a house called Rokeby in upstate New York that members of the Astor family still own. And there's a whole chapter about the, the orphans of, of Rokeby. Um, so they, they still have some, they still have the Rokeby property. Um, but I don't think they have, they certainly don't have the land holdings in Manhattan that they once did. No. Well, listen. You're a fascinating guy. It's endless questions I would have for you. <laughs> I like to know what's going on at C. Was Zucker the guy who brought you in? Was he the guy who hired you, Jeff? No, Zucker? no, no. I mean, I, I've been there 20 years. So I think you? Walter Isaacson was the president when I was there, he, who wrote the Elon Musk biography. Do you care about management? Like, do you care that Jeff Zucker's gone? Do you care that they brought in that other guy who said you couldn't drink on air and then they got some new guy? Do you? Does it bother you at all? I, I, I don't care about things that are... I mean, look, I want CNN to do well. I, I care about the organization and I, I care about the employees who work there. And there's a lot of incredibly hardworking people who, you know, do really good jobs. Um, so I obviously care about that. I don't know much about management. It's not something I understand, just like business. So uh, I don't pretend to know, you know, uh you know, all I know is how my interactions are with somebody and what, what I think about what they're doing. Um, but I, I want the place to be well run and I want it to, to do well. And, um, you know, I, we, there's a, a new head of it who seems really good. And, and I'm, you like this new that. guy. You like the new person? Yeah. I've met him a couple of times. He seems he's got a, a really good track record. He seems like not a, busting a your balls. Person. <laughs> busting my balls. Is he busting your balls? <laughs> yeah, not, yet, not, not yet. Nobody's, no, no. Right. Yeah, well, look. I'm looking at you. You're in the best shape of your life. You got big muscular arms. You look <laughs> handsome as hell. Why you don't have a boyfriend? Why you're not on a dating app? I don't understand what's going on with I'm you. I'm not on a dating app. No, I'm, I don't know that I would, I could do that. I don't know. Yes, you could. Yeah. Andy's on all of them. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, I don't know if he's on all I of them. I commend you for taking care of your issues rather than bringing them to somebody else. Yes. That's no. what these people do in relationships. I don't. No, no. Anderson needs, Anderson needs a great, have you had the great love of your life yet, Anderson? You have not. Uh, I this is know. what I'm talking about. <laughs> you want me to set you up? I may think who I am. Oh, know. my God. He's uh, the worst. When, Don't let when him. straight people try to set gay people up, it rarely works. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, my God. My my, my uh, mother tried to set up my, my gay cousin years ago. This was back in, like, the 70s. Uh-huh. What a disaster. <laughs> she was, she, I mean, she, oh my God, it was so bad. But, you know, what can I tell you? I, you, we gotta find you someone. You don't you fantasize about a great love affair? I, I got, I've got a great love affair with my kids right now. So. Oh, uh, stop it. That's different. Well, that's different. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Anderson's book, Aster, it's available wherever books are sold. Watch Anderson Cooper, 360, weeknights at 8 p.m. on CNN. Listen to the simulcast on Sirius XM Channel 116. There's a grief podcast wherever podcasts are, right? I mean, uh, All there is. That's what it's called. All there and is. We've, and I think the big headline today, after everything we discuss, is that Anderson Cooper is celibate. <laughs> no. I mean, that really Wait, is that's the big... What? That's, that's the big, that's the big I, I headline. Believe, well... 
He's extrapolating. I'm, extra- I'm, I'm, I'm realizing it. You're taking this- it to a, a whole other level. <laughs> what does Andy say about this? What does he say to you about this? You've discussed it with him. Um, I think. Does he I, think you're crazy? I don't know. Um, does he say to you, say? I know people, I want to set you up? Does he ever extend that kind of friendship? I think he knows that I'm a complex person, and I think he's, you know, I don't know. We'll have to ask him. I'm not sure. Next time you come back, we'll discuss what kind of porn you're watching to get through <laughs> oh, this oh celibacy. Then we're going to get really down and dirty. <laughs> well, wow. then he I, won't be I'm back, eager, I'm eager to come back to talk about that, <laughs> It might be a couple of years, right? <laughs> Listen, I told my audience this morning I watched trans porn the other night. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, next time you'll come and tell me what you're up to. Okay. Anderson, it is always great to have... I do have one question. Okay. Because, okay. you know, the other thing about news that I have noticed is there's a lot more social stuff in news than hard news anymore. And I wondered if you talked about Taylor Swift going to the... It's funny <laughs> you said that. City Chiefs game. It's funny you say that. So I did last night... At the end of the broadcast, we had uh, this, uh, our data guy, uh, uh, Harry Enton, who did a whole sort of data thing on the popularity of Taylor Swift versus the popularity of the Kansas City Chiefs and sort of how her, the merchandise for the football player. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey, yeah. how that merchandise, the percentage by which that merchandise has gone up. Um, so <laughs> we, did, we did sort of that. I it was news to me. I had not known about it until uh, you know we were talking about it in the newsroom about you know how people were going bananas over this. I don't know. Any, I really don't know anything about sports. I don't even. I don't pretend to to know stuff about sports. Me um, so it was all news to me. But I found it interesting talking to our data guy. But, yeah, but I, I, did. I I mean I like Taylor Swift. I gotta say, so. <laughs> I, I did a very graphic thirty five minute routine. <laughs> Uh-oh. On uh, the sex between uh, uh, Travis Kelsey and um, uh, Taylor Swift. That was and not was... an option for us in the newsroom. <laughs> thinking about I am... that. that didn't come up in when we were spitballing. But, this, but, but you know what, Anderson? Let me just make this one last point about that. Every guy watching that was sitting there thinking, oh, my God, Travis Kelsey's having sex with Taylor Swift. That's the that's the takeaway. That's why people they, they can't believe it. This big football player is having his way with Taylor Swift. Uh, that did not uh, that did <laughs> but, not enter my mind. Really? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, that's all that entered my mind. Oh, I, I mean, honestly, uh, well, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, this is the difference between us. I was thinking, I wonder what he, she's saying to his mom, and I wonder what those conversations. Oh, were like. you know what it was. I've already uh, told my audience what that was. That's her working extra hard. To win over the, you know how that goes. You got to win over his mom, and then he's going to think she's great. I mean, she's still Taylor Swift, but she's got to work the mom. I, what I, I uh, look, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't know much about Taylor Swift other than I like uh, some of her songs, and I, from, I haven't seen her concert, but I like how, how like good she is at what she does. Like I appreciate people who are just excellent at what they do and really think a lot about what they do and work to 
do the best show possible. And I think that's something that, I don't know, I just seem to, she seems like somebody who's really in control of her message and herself and, and her performance. And I think that's awesome. Well, I suggest you listen to me imitating uh, <laughs> Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift doing do both that. voices. No, you that. need to. You should do it. It's very graphic. I have, a, I have a friend years ago named Antonio who is a huge Taylor Swift fan, and he right. won some sort of like MTV competition or something where he got to go to a, like an album release party at her house with like a pizza party. And oh. by the way, he's like, you know, a 30 year old gay guy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You actually went? And he was like, of course I went. And he went and it was, you know, him and like some 16 year old girls. Uh, and I just imagined what it was like when Taylor Swift opened the door and there's my friend like, hi, here for the pizza party. Hey, what's happening? Oh my God. That's unbelievable. Well, let me tell you, this is a uh, wild to learn about Antonio. That's the next book. It's too much. Who are you hanging with still? Kelly Ripa? Is that your yeah, uh, good pal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kelly and Mark. So it's Andy, Kelly, and Mark. Yeah. Who's your circle? Who's uh, who's the I don't, inner circle? I don't have a I don't have a big circle. That, so it's just Andy and Kelly and Mark. Yeah, and Benjamin uh, and uh, my kids. Netanyahu. No, Benjamin, my Benjamin my 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 partner. Oh, him? That I don't understand. I don't understand the whole thing with Benjamin. What? You broke up with this guy. Okay, he's a co-parent. Let him get his own place. We're, we're so you could have some privacy. Friends. Yeah, at some point, who knows? But I, everything, it's great the way it is. And we're family, and it's great. And uh, yeah, it's... And you guys never look at each other and go, you know, hey, what the hell? I mean, uh, <laughs> none of the old feelings uh, come back? No. We're is he friends. not dating? Is he, and he's not dating either? I don't know. You don't ask? I don't ask, but I also wouldn't talk about it if he was. Uh, you guys have business. breakfast together? Everyone has? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, right before wow. coming here, well, we wake up the kids together, and um, we. I mean, there's nothing better than waking up the kid. It's so great when they're first in the morning, they're all dewy and sweaty, and the like. you hold them, and they're groggy. And, yeah, the kids are dewy and sweaty. And What's going on over there? I better Where go uh, call family. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, have, they each have a little room next to each other. And they got, you know, we just switched Wyatt into a, a, you know, a toddler bed, and... Why is um why is Sarah Jessica not your good friend? Why only uh Andy? Why, why she I, I'm friends with her. I mean, oh, I, you are. All right. Yeah, All right. I'm, but I'm just not like I just don't have a lot of time. So, um, and Cher is your friend also. <laughs> she texts me every now and then. What does she say to you? I mean, how dare she? There's how a lot of emojis you? involved. Really? Yes. What is she uh, busy bothering you about? About the you news? know what's cool about Cher is Cher watches a lot of news and she. And I, th I don't, I don't want to give, I'm not, I don't think I'm speaking out of school. She gets involved in things. She will see right. something about somebody who needs something and she will, she has many times reached out to me and said, I would like to make contact with this person and, and help them. And she has done that repeatedly and she has never, there's no publicity about it. She's not looking for publicity. Like if there's somebody doing good who she wants to help, she will reach out. And I think that's really awesome. Andy told us that Cher loves watching you on the news. She digs you. <laughs> I, mean, that, I don't know that, if that's the case, but but she it is. is. Uh, she's awesome. But look, she's had what I mean, what an incredible life and career. And it kills Andy that she was looking for your phone number. It kills him. He yeah, wants he's to be hearing from Cher, and <laughs> yeah. she wants Anderson's phone number. I, I feel that. bad for the guy. I feel bad for him. I mean, sure really, was on he, show, which was a big deal. That is a, what yeah. a beauty that Cher. Oh my god! Was. Oh incredible. my god! Oh, she's. I mean, she's incredible. Yeah. Why is he? Why is it so important to Andy to be friends with Cher? I guess it's a thing. 
You know what I'm Who saying? Who wouldn't want to be friends with Cher? I mean, I would like to be friends with Cher. She doesn't I'm, like me. But, uh, <laughs> I like her. I mean, I would All never right, call. Like, I don't call. Like, I'm too shy to call people up and and be friends with them. But like, yeah. So, but you could call Cher. She wants to be friends with you. She should come uh, yeah. over and, and hang with the at the firehouse where you live. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Nice. Listen, I'm imagining all kinds of fun. But look, you Anderson know who came Cooper. over to the firehouse? Lori who? Anderson. Oh, that who was she the, was married to Lou Reed. Lou Reed and Lori Anderson. I mean, I've loved Lori Anderson. She was on my podcast about grief. But I, she came over to the, the firehouse and, and met the kids. And I, I just love Lori Anderson. She is so cool. She's like seventy five now, maybe, and so creative and just doing such interesting stuff. She had a show with the Hershorn in D.C. She's doing concerts. She's awesome. Oh, God, I remember I went on vacation one time to a place called Jumbie Bay. Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson were there. Oh, really? And I had said on the air that Lou Reed looked like Joe Piscopo. It pissed him off. I don't know. He didn't like that analogy and uh, that comparison. And so the whole time I wanted to go over and talk um, to Lou because I love Lou Reed and right. Laurie Anderson I admire. But she stared. Um, they ignored us and we ignored them. Oh. And it was a great vacation. Oh. It was very comfortable. Small island. Wow, that sounds lovely. Yeah. You see, you are having the opposite life that I'm having. If people see you and they come over to the firehouse. Me, they're like, well, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> but what am I going to do? That's who I am. And that's my lot in yeah. life. Let me tell you. Talk about grief. I've got grief. <laughs> All right, listen. Anderson Cooper, you've done it again. You charmed the audience. <laughs> you come on here. You talk about everything. But the book is called Aster. If you want to see something, it'll probably be turned into a TV series because there's so many nunnicks in that Aster family. <laughs> it's available wherever books are sold. Watch Anderson Cooper 360 weeknights at 8 p.m. on CNN. Or listen to the simulcast on Sirius XM Channel 116. He, he doesn't care about money. His agent doesn't care about money. Very unusual. <laughs> I think he should be making the most money on CNN. He's the most recognizable guy there. If I worked at CNN, I'd know exactly what Wolf Blitzer was getting, and I'd make sure I got more. But that's me. That's why uh, no one wants to talk to me at Jumpy Bay. Well, that's why you got a, the contract you got, you know? There you go. That's right. That's right. As you should. I, want, I wanted more money than Mad Dog Russo. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Anderson, uh, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. It was thoroughly enjoyable. I always love when you come on here. Don't be a stranger. Anytime. And uh, one day you and I will write a book together about somebody. I would oh. love that. I just reread your book uh, last night, actually. I looked Thank you. It. Oh, excellent. Thank you. You can <laughs> read you. a book that fast in Well, one day. I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> It took me a month and a half. <laughs> takes me a month and a half to get through a book. Well, no, but you, 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 you said in that book how that book took you longer to write than you had possibly imagined. Like you hadn't planned to spend that much time. Oh, oh the publisher said to me, take it a few minutes. Right. Don't worry. It'll put itself <laughs> together. I'm like, but you can't, you, you, because you are who you are, just as I am, you can't allow yourself to do that. No, we're not. How long did it take you to write Aster? Uh, two, two years. Yeah. Oh, whoa. No kidding. I believe that. I mean, it's a, it's, I have a, it's a, a great co-writer, Catherine Howe, which, who helped with a lot of the research and, and the writing. So, Oh, yeah. There's a lot of research that goes into this thing. I yeah. mean, I don't even know how you find out half this crap. I mean, I don't know. No, there's right, a, you yeah. did it. I don't know. That's another conversation. All right. Listen, I'll let you go. Once you, anything you want to, anything you want to say? No, I'm, I'm you've said it all. Parting words. Yeah, parting words. I mean, I mean I, it's always a treat having an <laughs> actual same. conversation with you, and we're, it's there's nothing better. Where, where are you going to go now? What fabulous thing are you going to do next? Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, 
I'm going to stop at the gym, work out my trainer, Leo, and uh, and then I'm going to go hang out with the kids for several hours, and uh, they, they take a nap uh, in a couple hours, so I'll, I'll put them down for their nap, and then uh, i got to do a podcast stuff. I got The podcast coming out, I think, early November, all there is, and the first season's on, and it's got I recommend that. Um, it's it's one of the things I'm actually most proud of that I've done lately. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm working on. And that dude who is your ex partner, he watches the kids. Is he uh, yeah, home he's, pretty much? He's home as well. We have also a nanny who's fantastic. Oh, this is fantastic. No wonder. So you're free to go out and do your thing. I love that. Well, yeah, I spend a lot of time. I mean, I like. I mean, I like being. Around I get them. it. You spend a lot of time in the kids' show. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we get it. it. Seventy five podcasts and a, and, a, and a TV show you got to worry about and sixty minutes. And but you're pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're you're busy with the kids like my dad was busy with me. I get no, it. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know. You're a good dad. Okay. Okay, everybody heard it. All right, listen, Anderson, you're fabulous. And you know it, and I know it, and the whole audience knows it. Anderson Cooper, check out Aster. Thanks, Anderson. Great Thanks, to guys. see Thanks you. Bye, there bye. he is. Robin. Bye. Lovely man, good man. And a good man is hard to find. There you go. Well, listen, we've had a lot of fun today. And tomorrow we're going to have even more fun. And we'll be back tomorrow with you. Right, Robin? That's right. 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 Okay. Goodbye.